Hello and welcome back to Zapped to the Past and our coverage of the games that were reviewed in issue 5 of Zap 64. I am your host, Adrian Mills, and I am joined by my good friend and C64 admirer, Graham Ruddings. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from this issue and were amazed by the brilliance of Summer Games 2, more than appreciative of the sounds that Martin Galway got the SID chip to make in the great conversion of Hypersports, and bemused by the randomness of Monster Trivia. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I suggest you go and do so. If you have, then let's get on with things. Graham, tell us what we have to look forward to in this episode. We have crammed so much into this episode, it's a wonder it doesn't go pop. We've got every mum's favourite golfer, Nick Faldo, playing the Open. Is it the first great C64 golf game? We've got Frankie Goes to Hollywood, a concept game from an amazing band or an amazing band in a concept game. We've got Merlin. Eh. We've also got Ian Botham and Graham Gooch having a crooked off. Can you believe that? Rescue on Fractalis. We've got our feature feature out on a limb. There's so much going on. It's a wonder we can cram it all in. Awesome. So, without further ado, let's get on with the games. And our first game, Nick Faldo plays the Open. Nick Faldo does play the Open. He likes to play the Open. As far as I'm aware, he was a big, big, big advocate of playing the Open. He liked golf. Uh, this is a... He, he did. He was a he was a you know a very very famous golfer. He was Britain's famous golfer in the eighties. One of you, Sandy Sandy Lyle, um, was mm. that another one? Who, uh, I don't can't remember many others. Semi Ballesteros was it? He he won English. He won, won British. Well, I know that, but he's still a golfer. <laughs> well, Brexit is Brexit. Fair enough. We don't, fair I, don't rec- I don't rec- I don't recognise well, EU I think, golfers. Sadly, I think he's no longer with us anyway. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, um, got he got eighty percent in that. Eighty percent. Ow. Stranger. We'll, we'll come to that. Let's have a talk. The first thing I just want to note is sort of thing. Is so this is a uh, an early example of a golf game sort of thing. They would become, they would grow to have a certain look to them, which is the behind the golfer, you know, the, the, the view that would be, you know, pioneered by leaderboard. This is free leaderboard. So this is a top-down view. It's a very simplistic view. It's a one-player game. There's very, very, very rudimentary presentation. You have uh, uh, some options at the bottom, which you can flick between selecting your different clubs there's no no title screen as far as i could make out there was you're just in there it was the top of the top of the screen is like an aerial view of your present location on the course so down at the bottom you had a series of options so you could change your club uh you could change the direction of where you wanted to hit it you could press a button to get more aerial view of the of the hole itself and there was a was the wind i can't remember sort of thing and then in the middle was a a quite nicely animated caddy and, and Nick, I presume that's supposed to be Nick's. Uh, you know, when you hit the ball, he would swing and, and mm-hmm. hit it. Um, but before you did any of this sort of thing, you were given four options to play. I can't help but think that the 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 choice of these words was intentional um, because your four options were in, out, round, hole. <laughs> I suspect <laughs> Which, they're probably very <laughs> common golf terms, you'd be pleased to know. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, they are. You go in. I mean, the in is. I think the the uh, it's either the first. I think I think out is the first nine uh, nine holes. In is the back nine. Yeah. Um. Around is you know. Around you golf. go all eight uh, full eighteen and hole is just you do one hole. Yeah. But to, to be fair, sort of thing. Out comes first. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, in, in as far as my understanding of golf, so to put these the other way around and write in out in out round hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it again because it keeps making me laugh. It made me chuckle at the time. I was sat here. When I noticed it on the screen, I was like, in our round hole. Uh, this is, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, we, you know, we like to be erudite and sophisticated about games sometimes, but sometimes the game just says in out round hole. Yes. Um, and which, you have to laugh at that. 
It is also the TLDR of golf, to be fair, so... <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Um, You've got so, strokes in there as well. It could all get very down in a day, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, stro- strokes and birdies and all kinds of weird shit. It is what it is. You know, you pick your direction, you pick your club, you hit the ball. There's none of the finesse or skill, should we say, that came in later golf games where you've got to get your slice or hook. You know, you don't want to, you know, all that sort of thing, which came later with the sort of the standard sort of three button, three button approach, I think is what actually became like the standard golf. Mm-hmm. interface didn't it for a load of games you know yeah. start your power pick your power pick your direction or pick your hook and slice yeah. the three button hit i think that was pretty much pioneered by leaderboard if i re- I, I don't remember something coming before that we may find something probably deep, arcades but- i would have thought somewhere this does away with that. I mean, I'm not doing away with it. I don't think they was doing it then. So this is simple. You pick your direction and then you pick your power. There's a power bar as well. And then just press the hit button. And that's it, really. Your ball moves along. It's quite nicely smooth scrolling, you know, top part of the screen, which the ball flies away and you hit it and then you hit it again to get on the green and then you put it and you move on. That's golf, golf isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's golf. golf. <laughs> Without the walking um, between the... Between holes, so... Yeah, um, there are things that I do like about this. It's nice and simple. It's quick. It's quite arcadey um, in and of itself. I like the fact that you're given very minimalist information. You've only got you've got a selection of clubs, uh, driver, three-wood, five-wood, some irons, a wedge, and a, a putter. That's the standard, um, that's the standard, exact standard range of golf clubs right there. Because you only, you're only allowed to take... Is it 14 clubs with you, I think, out on the, on the golf course? I wouldn't I think. know the full details only, of the yeah, rules. Yeah, that's why you can't take the whole range. Sort of thing. You've got to choose. So yeah, you, you got to choose your clubs. When you hit it, in a lot of golf games, sort of thing, it, it will tell you you are now 200 yards to the to the hole. So you then pick your club based on that. This doesn't do that. It just doesn't tell you anything. Your ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pick a club and try and work it out, which I quite like. To be fair, that is it, actual golf. Yeah, that, that, it's not that's like why you hit I the like. ball and it goes when it lands. It goes. You are now 55 meters from the hole because you've got to guess. That's what I'm saying. That's what I liked. That's that's what that's what I liked about it. So there is there are some elements that I do like about this. It's an, if you like golf, th- there's probably worse versions of it than this. I don't know. What did you think? Did you find it all right? I thought that uh, as golf games go, it's all right. It's more of a really a kind of a dot move simulator, really. So move the dot <laughs> from. There's weird quirks. I, I quite like the the graphic dashboard and the controls actually were pretty good. Sort of you know it's point and click golf, which is kind of weird, but okay, yeah, it exactly. kind of works. Um, there's just some really odd little details in it so you know you aren't given much to go from so you just got to figure stuff out but you don't doesn't take long which is kind of a sign of a, a, a reasonably good game i suppose you either like golf or you don't golf is a game where you have to obviously hit the ball you know with as few strokes as possible in order to get it in the hole that's the game so that's what it does there's not there's not massive amounts of panache about it it's okay looking it does all the things you would expect a golf game to do apart from the fact that when you hit the ball um when you when it does show you the overhead view the sort of um the sort of uh, the overhead view it goes from top to bottom when the ball fires which we kind of weirded me out because i thought when i hit the ball it would go from bottom to top i don't know why so i just thought i thought the view of the map would be sort of bottom upwards i don't know why so it just seems weird that when you do it you sort of it's the other way around but that quirk aside if you like golf you're gonna like it right i just thought it was it's just not very exciting but it's a golf game it just you know you just kind of you know well we we know with that we know because we've played leaderboard and stuff that it, it gets bettered mm. by miles but yes it does but that said you could have some fun playing this i suppose and just experimenting with different clubs and how far you could hit them and what the angle would do and, and you've got all those little controls over that 
it is all on one screen, you know, so there's no real confusion, you know, in... It'd be like it's a point... It's, well, it'd be like they could make a snooker game of the same thing and make a point-and-click snooker. It would, wouldn't necessarily be a bad game because snooker's not a bad game. Like, golf isn't a bad game if you like golf. Is this a good simulation of playing golf? Well, you can play around a golf and you can pick clubs and you can do all the stuff you would do. Mm. Is it presented in the most amazing, exciting possible way that golf games can be done? Not yet, but that comes a little bit later, so it's all right. It's not too bad. There's so many worse games out that you could be playing than this one. Um, and it's got yeah. Nick Faldo was a big name at that point. He was quite a household name, more so than some of the other weird sports names that we've had with, you know, Peter Smith's squash and Bobby, <laughs> Mc, Bobby McGee's <laughs> ping pong, you know, and all that kind of thing. So I think Nick Faldo was a bit of a housewife's favourite as well. Yeah, exactly. So... He was, he was a bit of a pin-up for golf, wasn't he? Yeah, totally. And he was, he was one of the all-time great golfers. So it's not like it's, you know, it's a bit like, it'd be like it, nowadays, of course, it'd probably be Tiger Woods plays the Open. And, or somebody, there might, there might even be better golfers than him now. Tiger Woods is probably our better old hat <laughs> now. But that said, at the time, Nick Faldo was a big, quite a big name. One that people recognised. So one of the sort of sports superstars of the time, a bit like Nigel Mansell's and the Damien Hills and Barry Sheen's and other sort of famous people. Were, you know, there were quite famous sports stars coming out of Britain at the time. Not just Olympic runners and stuff, but other sports. So it was a golf game and it wasn't terrible, which is about as good a thing as you can say about it. It's hard to sit there and slate it because it doesn't do anything wrong, does it? It's not like you, you know, it's not I like you hit, it's thing- got really crazy golf logic. It doesn't have anything crazy about it. You just you hit the ball and, you know, if you hit it in the right direction and the right speed with the right power, you'll get it in the hole. Yeah, I think the only thing that um, I thought it lacked was a, a multiplayer. It could have done with, you know, but so playing with your friends, I think would have been a bit bit better maybe yeah i think because you'd have all been playing as nick faldo though which would have been a bit weird <laughs> multiple nick faldos yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm faldo one you're so, faldo so, two so they just had to add a plural <laughs> to the name title and so it'd be nick faldos play the open so the collection of the collection of nick faldos somehow materializes it gets a bit sci-fi if you do that but i can i can go with it yeah absolutely there could be multiple faldos i could dig it i could dig that yeah so you know it's all right i don't think it deserves eight percent but no. i think at the time it plays a it's certainly better than a couple of the sports games we're going to look at coming up. Yeah, and is it ten percent better than Rupert the Bear? Yeah, probably. If that's, that's but this is what I'm saying. Is it? Yeah. Is Rupert the Bear too high? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, uh-huh. so this for me would be more of a midway game, fifty sixties tops. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not, it's not it rubbish, is. but it's not like it's going to blow your socks off for amazing. No, it's not. Just think, sort of thing. Two or three episodes, two or three issues previously, this would have got a sizzler. Yeah, true. And you know what? If you are into <laughs> golf, you're never going to get any better at golf unless you actually use a real golf club. So this simulation is never going to help you with your short or long game. It's just going to confuse you about what clubs can hit what distance. That's where I've gone wrong. Leaderboard golf good for me <laughs> for many years. There's me thinking that you know, I can I, I can hit a a golf ball 190 yards with a nine iron or a, a one iron. You really can't. <laughs> You no, really can't. dead hard. Yeah, unless you're Happy Gilmore, <laughs> yeah. which you're probably good, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, probably. So Nick Fowler plays the Open. Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. We're, we're, we're not going to be down on it sort of thing, but there are bets coming. And probably if you've got to yeah. play a golf game on the C64, unless you're doing it historically, probably skip this one. Next up is uh, another big hitter, you know, and, and this game's uh, another... In other words, it's the issue's other gold medal, and it doesn't come more eclectically odd than Frankie goes to Hollywood. This could have so easily been another one of them. Yeah. And to some, de- and to some degree, it maybe is, but it's not. It's really not. Um, my first note is this shouldn't work. 
The mere idea is ridiculous. I mean, let's for those who don't know, we're probably all familiar with Frankie Goes to Hollywood, but Frankie Goes to Hollywood were a pretty big deal um, in the UK back in 1984, 85. Yes, I was way too young to really understand relax i thought it was asking people to come around their house or something that's why i was sort of under the impression that's what it meant i didn't understand it i didn't understand why it was getting banned um so relax you know relax was the song it was their big, first big single it was banned off the radio there's a big hoo-ha about them and then they released a number one album welcome to the pleasure dome with two tribes and power of love um and welcome to the pleasure dome produced by relax who was it yeah relax on there obviously Horn. um it's Trevor Horn, wasn't it? Buggles. Uh, yep. Buggles is Trevor Horn, you know. Buggles, playing, yep. you know, you know th- this was a big event, a big musical event back in 84, 85. Um, and so the, the, the thought, okay, so far, so typical of mid-1980s weirdness sort of thing, or, you know, big band coming out. And then who the hell would think, okay, well, let's make Frank Goes Hollywood into a game. Like I said, the mere idea is ridiculous. And yet it does. And yet they gave it somehow to probably the only people I would think who are working in video games at this time that could turn it into something like what happened. Uh, they gave it to Denton Design, who we spoke about last week. Um, or oh, sorry, last issue. And turned it into something really, really special. I, I tell you, you, you describe it because you, you, you describe Because I struggle. I struggle to describe what Frank Goes Hollywood is actually is. Well, as, as a game, as a game, it's essentially. <laughs> yeah, See? Uh, well, it's. I hate to say it, but it is a, at its core, a puzzle game. Move around, pick things up, solve puzzles, yes. and they do stuff. The collecting part means you've got to basically become a full person, right? And so you're trapped in this as a boring old person in the mundane world. Of, I think it's in God mundane land or something daft like that. Anyway, but mm-hmm, so like and that. the idea is that you've got four factors to your personality. You need to build up by solving puzzles, collecting objects, participating in mini games to become a whole person. And when you do, you can finally join the pleasure dome. You can become part of that super elite um, and transcend. And so in mundane land, uh, it's very much a world based around concepts of life. And I think really almost like life and TV, really. So it's a, yes. it's a very much a reflection of the world around you is full of mundane stuff and rubbish. But to become this beautiful thing, you have to really dig around inside and participate in some really weird stuff. And when you do that, you can build yourself up to be more than you are. They transformed that concept into a game where you play a character who is a... I think, is it your see-through? But a, a, am I right in thinking that as you progress, you become less see-through? Is that you become less transparent? I, I, I'm not sure on that. You're, you're basically, you're the Frankie. You're the Frankie character from their yeah. logo. Yeah, So, and I think as you progress through the game and, and become more whole, you become more of a solid visual, I think. But either way, so you, you're wandering around the street you're going in and out of houses, picking up objects, searching things, looking for things. Some objects interact with other objects, and when they do, you you gain some some either one of the four elements, and they're represented with unusual graphics. So I think it's sperm, bullets, a crucifix, and I forget what the fourth one is. A heart, but essentially heart. It's, yeah, yeah. it's love, sex. I forget what the four. It's love, of, sex, power, religion, and yeah, some, yeah, yeah, and, that, and, and the, war, and, war, religion. War, when you build all, all those yeah. up, to, up to the maximum, you then obviously it becomes a, a full Frankie. Um, and that is actually when you first start the game, when you've, that's the equation that you're presented with. So you see this sort of mm. complex equation of what that actually means. And that's actually the instructions for the game. Collect all four of these, get them, get the levels up to the top because the levels do slowly diminish over the time of the game if you don't top them up. So you've got to 
bit of a race against time. And then as you progress through the game, there's mini mini games in there, of which I think there's a six mini games. It might be more than that, but I think there's a set amount. Each one's kind of themed to the to the Frankie Ghost at Hollywood ethos. So something about two tribes, something about Pleasure Dome, something, you know, and each one's got kind of a vibe. Some great, great, great music in amongst all of the game. Um, mm-hmm. And its look and feel is graphically quite interesting. It has, it's such an unusual game. It, like you say, it's, it's not a, it's a hard game to define by any one single element because it's such a mishmash of different things. So it's part puzzle, part adventure, part collect them up, part music type game, really, in some ways. It's eclectic and it's a bit of a, I think if, if there could be, if there, anything could be described as kind of a concept game, this would be it. It's very much like a concept album in that respect and that it's a game that you have to go in and be, you just have to let go get into the game and just participate in the world of that game and forget about game real game logic and the rules that apply to those things and just go with the logic of this game. And if you do that, you're going to have a really good time with it because it's good fun. Diving in and out of the houses, looking for stuff, solving mini puzzles, playing in some of the really crazy games, gradually trying to build up your yourself to be a full person so that you can then transcend and it's a tough old game as well it's not it's not very forgiving i think it's a really great game i just remember even to this day i remember loading it for the first time on the relax version by fred gray blasting out as it loaded and thinking this is that is exceptionally good mm-hmm. by anyone's standards it's a great version of relax by frankie goes to hollywood and then all of the music in the game all of the game it felt like i was a, quite a fan of frankie goes to hollywood at the time you, you had to buy into the world of frankie goes to hollywood for it to make sense but if you went with it and it's all high concept stuff really um, if you went with it and you went with that idea of it, just what Frankie Goes Hollywood, what kind of was as a brand and as a kind of experience and as a thing and as an entity of whatever that might mean, then you were going to get a lot out of this game. And hence the reason I think that if there was ever a game that you could say it struck at the heart of something at the time, Frankie Goes Hollywood was that game because it, it captured a moment of time like Frankie Goes to Hollywood did themselves. Great, great title, great game, and but hard. And it was never quite the same game twice, I have to say. It always, kind of, it always went a bit different each time I played it. So And that didn't change yeah. even when replay. It, so. I think that's because some of the I don't know if because you pick up objects like you pick up mundane objects like you know video cassettes discs cats. you use video cats milk flak jackets yep. which is weird um, and then you pick up power pills as well which you can use to increase your stat you wonder I mean the, the, the visual representation sort of changes from moment uh, you know from the, the, the main chunk of the game sees you just wandering around like boring like terrace council houses with all the mundanity of those sort of things so just living room with ducks on the wall very 80s very 70s yeah. you know very you know almost 50, or 50s 60s like yeah. almost kitchens you wander around you can go into gardens sometimes and there's socks hanging up which you can pick up um and then when you use a video maybe on the tv uh, it's, the, the, this is what the really beauty of it sort of dented designs brought there you know design that they've been sort of perfected on shadow fire with these sort of windows popping in and out and the way that screens don't just flick, they sort of grow out of windows. Um, and the way it sort of changes the screens like that. And then the, the mini games wouldn't just, you wouldn't just get transported. They would open up in the middle of the screen and you had to walk around them and into them. Mm. Um, really clever, clever stuff going on mm. about how it would sort of transport you. And the mini games themselves were varied and eclectic. One had you as Reagan and Gorbachev spitting bullets against each other That's across right. the screen. Another one had you as a small uh, devil and you had to ride the clouds across like what was almost a sort of Botticelli, not Botticelli, but sort of uh, Michael Angelo-esque right. sort of painting type thing. There was nine there was mini games one. in total. Yeah, there's a, there's another one where you've a really simple sort of almost breakout type thing bouncing around a thing and you've got to sort of bounce it off yourself to hit a sort of spark at the top. There's another one where bombers are bombing sort of targets 
on a landscape which I think is supposed to be Merseyside. I yeah, it's, think. it's raid over Merseyside. Uh, that level's gone. Yeah, raid over Merseyside, and you, you're a tank, sort of a target, and you've got to stop them from shooting them. There's all kinds of different stuff going on, and any of these mini games will lead you to increase your your wholeness. There's a big maze section where you're wandering around um, trying to solve this maze. Halfway through, you find a dead body. That's right. The murder uh, in, one of, in, one, right. in one of the rooms. So then. As you're wandering around different rooms, as you go into different places, you'll get clues pop up and you have to, you know, don't go back to the body until you've got all the clues and then you have to say who you think committed the crime. It's so odd and it's so unusual, but it's it works so well. Um, it's so minimalist. One of the things we said about uh, Shadowfire was that it was hard to understand exactly what... To, and it's like they looked at that and, and probably took that on board and, and with this... You know, things look like what they are. Video sets look what like what they are. They go with the TV. De- you know, discs look like discs. Stuff looks like what it's supposed to be. There's a really, really nice level of visual d- design throughout it, both mm. in the mundanity and in the more eclectic elements. It's a it's a stunning game. It's a, it's a real it's a real evidence sort of thing. This could have been, like I said, another one of those. This could have been everyone's Frankie. Yeah. Um, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, quite yeah. quite easily. And one of the best things they do, there's no enemies. There's no enemies. So you're not, like in something like Everyone's a Wally, you're just constantly bothered by enemies on screen. They did away with that. They're confident enough in their game design here, something to allow you to wander the wander the the, the streets and the houses and Mundaneville, whatever it's called, um, and just explore at your own pace, at your own time, and discover and learn and not force you and not threaten you and not put you in a sort of sense of panic. You just playing it just keeps going mm-hmm. and you just keep progressing and it's a it's a beautiful sort of trust in the player that the player will engage with that um Absolutely. and not force them um to be like the, the mini games you can die in you can get hit and you die and you get booted out of them but it just means you lose some stat and then it's that's it's a really beautiful and clever level of design um and and like i said it's a it's really forward thinking in, in the way that they allow you, the player, to dictate your own pace through it. And it's wrapped up with lovely visuals and, as, as you've already said, you know, great, great soundtrack. If it wasn't a great soundtrack, considering you know, the, what they pulled from with this, the Franco Swelling music, it would be a travesty. But the versions of the songs in this are great. And it could be really repetitive, just hearing that Two Tribes loop. Strangely enough, it never gets repetitive. Yeah, fantastic game all round. Thoroughly deserved its gold medal. Absolutely it did. No, and just a nod there to Fred Gray for doing a, such a great job on the old Frankie Goes to Hollywood Town. It could have gone horribly wrong, that. It could have. Really? That, Absolutely. That, you know, I mean, you're taking on Frankie Goes to Hollywood, so you, really what you're taking on is Trevor Horn and Frankie Goes to yeah. Hollywood. So you either do that justice or you are doomed, especially mm-hmm. at that time, because they were kind of, they were really revered and Welcome to the Pleasure Dome is, is a, such a good album that, you know, but he did it justice. He really did, you know, and I don't think anyone's ever complained about the music to Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It's uh, it's def- no. definitely, it was definitely great. As we've said with other games, you know, it made a great game. Just it made it really, you were really then immersed in the Frankie Goes to Hollywood kind of ethos and world and wanting to reach the Pleasure Dome became something, you know, of an addiction because the game is addictive. I can't explain quite why, but you do want to just keep at it and figuring stuff out. But I quite I think yeah. it's because it's got a, an air of mystery and that does keep you hooked in. So well done gold medal well deserved for me absolutely uh yeah best thing from denton design best thing they ever did in my my opinion absolutely yeah uh, brilliant game um and ocean you know ocean imagine play the game two crackers from them this month yes um, yes they were uh, ready on fire with this stuff yeah they were so hats off but we'll put our hats back on for our next game our final game for this section uh where we look at merlin from the incredible highs <laughs> Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um, I like to sort of... I never know when I put these games together. Some I've never heard of, so I don't know what we're going to get. 
Um, well, but it's got 55 in well, the magazine, you know and I think it's too, too high. I don't need to take a lot of time with it. It was a crappy jetpack-ish rip-off. Jetpack, that's what it reminded me it of. It was based around, just no <laughs> doubt, right? It. it was based around Jetpack, so it, but it was just crap. Weirdly out of scale mm-hmm. graphics, horrible, horrible sound effects. It didn't play very well. It wasn't any fun. If you're going to play this, play Jetpack. Yeah. Because it was the Jetpack, you know. Jet, the premise of Jetpack, for those that never don't know, or those kind of games, is you are single screen, you are a person on, on a Jetpack, or in this instance, Merlin on a broom, I think, or a wizard flying around anyway. You've got to collect stuff and load up the rocket ship in Jetpack. In this instance, put things in the cauldron. You can land in this game and walk along the fort like you can in Jetpack. You can pick stuff up like you can in Jetpack. The only thing you can't do is fly, because <laughs> on Jetpack, I think you can go le- through the screen at the top so you can fly across the top of the screen and loop, whereas you can't in this, I think. I didn't get that far into it because I like Jetpack, so if I'm going to do play a game that's like Jetpack, I'll just play Jetpack. I won't bother with this nonsense. And it was awful graphics anyway. Awful. It was, looked like it was, wasn't was quite finished. Now, the, 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 the cauldron was enormous. If you think of the scale of that wizard, <laughs> the cauldron's was like massive. a skyscraper. So what, it's just stupid <laughs> stuff like that annoys me. I'm like, just utter, utter rubbish. Take it away. Bah! <laughs> Um, yeah, I put even at two pound fifty. This isn't great. No, make it stop. Yeah, this was about. We're not going to say much more about this. It's a like you said, single screen. Yeah, jetpack. I, I was trying to place. I, for some reason, I had a mental blank on what it was. Sort of thing. I think it was the game was so. Uh, it. it uh, the only thing I can will say, it's not the worst thing we've ever played, but that in itself is no recommendation. So there we go. Uh, Merlin, don't play it. Rubbish. <laughs> we're not gonna. No. We shall not waste your time. No more time with, with any more on that. All right, so that's that's it for this section. If you bear with us, we will be back soon where we will be talking uh, about film and TV in September 1985. Welcome back. We move into films and TV for September 1985. So TV... <laughs> There's not, not a lot going on this month. I reckon it's the summer months, you know, things are probably a bit quiet. Uh, on the 7th of September, I, I've never heard of this, but I wondered if you had. The American sci-fi adventure series Otherworld makes its British television debut in the HTV region, and the series is aired by Anglia Border, Central, Grampian, and Granada regions from yeah, the 2nd not, of November. It sound like Yorkshire TV got it. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, uh, that's with most of the company starting to screen it in 1986. You ever, you ever heard of this? No, I've only heard of, uh, and only because I remember the, some vagaries about it being set on an Earth like, planet i can't remember the name of it braille yeah, fell foul blal or something weird like that but yeah i looked at the plot and it's a family that sort of falls through something to another world yeah with, I don't, with familiarity it's a bit like there's a what's the one where they go on the big spaceship and lost in space it had a lost in space tonality of lost in space from what i remember i don't remember of watching it though but then it wasn't no. in the yorkshire tv region we were uh we were disavowed we weren't allowed it so <laughs> well, it does say TV. that it did come to everywhere else, apart from Thames and LWC, so we may have. You know, I've, I've heard of most sci-fi series from around that period in some way or another, but this was just like, I've never heard of it. Uh, I wondered if you had, I wonder if it's something no, that you it's had not, come it's across. not something that's ever come across my radar. I might try and track it down to see what it's like. If it's uh, early 80s, mid 80s sci-fi from America, it'll probably have that kind of, there's a look and feel to all of their sci-fi from that period. And there I, is, I yes. hate to say it, because remember that Battlestar Galactica is where it got quite good for TV originally. Then Battlestar Galactica went 80s with... Oh, not, I'm not even saying it by name. <laughs> what, but <Earth>? but Galactica <laughs> 82. <clears throat> so, is, that well, the, is that the one with the flying bikes? That's the We don't talk about that. <laughs> it's, it's got one good episode in the entire short, painfully, but thankfully short run. So I suspect it's come around at that kind of time, but I don't know much about it. So I, it's something I'm going to track down and look into because I, I am a big fan of 80s sci-fi, or whether it's good you or are. bad. 
I'd like to give it a go. So I will well, check I'll it out. I'll leave that. I'll leave that for you to do, and you I'll can do, report I'll back. Tell you what, you leave that to me. <laughs> I will. Don't worry. More importantly, though, and this was a big thing: 9th of September, children's BBC premiered on BBC One. Yes, definitely. I thought this was much. I thought this was earlier. By brand, it appeared in 19, uh, 1985. But prior to that, they didn't call it children's BBC. It didn't have a brand and an identity. You know, this was children's TV sort of thing. You'd come home from school. There were so many good shows that aired on BBC <laughs> children's TV that I loved so many of them. Um, that I hum the theme tunes of them to this day. <clears throat> I'm probably going to get them mixed up with ITV, though, because there's probably a mix of both, but things like Cities of Gold, Doctanion, yeah. I think Battle of the Planets that uh, was on there. Uh, that was ITV. That was ITV. Battle of the Planets was ITV, was it? All right, okay, fair enough. Um, what other great shows were in that sort of thing? Uh, was uh, Ulysses, that was BBC? Was that BBC? That was BBC, I think. You actually might might have been. Yeah. It was, could have been CIT. They all, um, yeah, I think it was BBC. Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that was BBC. I'm sure of it. The BBC tended not to. The BBC tended not to go for American syndicated stuff. BBC was things like um, Danger Mouse. Was BBC? I think they did have a Red Hand Gang. I remember that. Possibly. Remember Red was Hand that, Gang? Was that BBC? Was that because they had Why Don't that You? Was, that was a BBC show. Because they remember they had regional. Yeah, that was in the morning. Yeah, but they had re- what I mean is they had regional kids shows that would often like like um, things like. Um, Rent-A-Ghost was BBC and stuff like that. So I don't know. Um, they definitely had Willie Fogg and they definitely had Dog Tanyon because I remember them doing the sing-alongs and Mysterious Cities of Gold. Mm. I don't know about Inspector Gadget, um, but possibly possibly those. No, that um, was ITV. That was definitely ITV. So, but yeah, they all... But ITV very much borrowed, didn't they? The, the format and everything else. And of course, what we're also forgetting is Children's TV also represents Saturday morning television. Yes. Um, now, that had, also, yeah. that had already been there with Noel Edmonds and the Swap Shop. Uh, up until Tizwas came along in ITV and really broke the mould completely about what that needed to be. And then Saturday Superstore came along, mm-hmm. which later developed into you know a whole different format. I remember seeing an interview with Philip Schofield who said that it genuinely was a cupboard. So it wasn't like it was a... They used to call it then, <laughs> Philip Stick, but it was actually a cupboard he was in because they, they never put a lot of money into it. But I think they... You've got Grangeill on there, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was shown before then, wasn't it? Sort of thing, it so. was that been around in the 70s, but it just... It became that children's BBC became those programs on there and there's Playbus, Playdays, Going Live was part of that sort of Biker Grove was one of theirs. Yeah. Blue Peter of course. But then you've got, you've got We Are The Champions I think was BBC and there's quite a few. And of course then yeah. you've got the famous sidekicks Gordon the Gopher you're right of course Ed the Duck oh, was, so on and so on and so forth. Wasn't it? it was. Ed the Duck. Live and Kicking was one of the shows. Saturday morning with Dick and Dom came later and yeah. oh gosh. I mean it all grew, I suppose it all grew out of Swap Shop didn't it? It did actually yeah. Um, it did. It, you don't realise how many shows that they pioneered really at children's bbc yeah. you know things like um just this whole slew of them pingu uh fireman sam began there and my gosh and it, like you said it, it then split into cbbc cbb's all the children's yeah. channels and stuff like that this yeah. was you know it's just start over here i'm sure in america these things were already going on but over here it was a big deal it was it was a space specifically for kids to watch you know it was, it was a time for yeah. us to have the tv you know and enjoy something and and be Fill part of something with you know we presenters from Swap Shop and things like that going live, but to actually have a presenter linking this kind of thing was quite interesting. Mm. And yeah, and existed at that little sweet spot between children getting home from school and the news at six o'clock, didn't it? So they had it a, did, yes, a it little was mix the... of programs. And ITV had their own variants as well, and they did some real strong contenders. They gave the BBC a run for their money. They didn't have it easy. The BBC, no, they didn't. ITV had book. ITV had Book Tower, which well, yeah, I but, loved. Yeah, but you think that for every 
Danger Mouse, they had Nightmare in ITV with Trey Gardner. <laughs> oh, nightmare, yeah. yeah. And as much as it's crazy stupid in in many ways, I tell you what, that was that was the go-to show. And if you weren't watching Nightmare, you yeah, know, as, as much as it's weird to think of it now. It's you know, really weird, Nightmare. How much mileage can you get from a green screen? Turns out a lot. <laughs> Turns out Absolutely. loads, loads of mileage. Loads of mileage. Uh, a, green screen, yeah. a green screen and a helmet. Things kids could do that show in their own bedrooms on a fairly rudimentary laptop these days, probably on their iPhone. Yeah, Amazing. they probably could. The bloody technology um, they've got these days, kids in there. <laughs> so there you go. That was the start of children children's telly being a, a proper mm. thing. Was um, really a children's BBC night September 28th of September. There was a sadder time, a sadder moment in our TV history because after 20 years, ITV Saturday afternoon sports program World of Sport is aired for the last time. Was that with Dickie Davis, was that it? Was with Dickie Davis, yeah. yes. Was it a poor man's grandstand? Was it just a vehicle for Big Daddy? Yeah, it was the only place you could watch <laughs> British wrestling. wrestling. It, it really was. I was always on around Saturday tea time, wasn't it? Yeah, do you um, know, I have Saturday quite a soft spot time. for two reasons for World of Sport. One, I tended to avoid it generally because there was some, like the wrestling, if you called it fine, but there was mostly just you know, coverage of sports that I wasn't that interested in, racing and other bits and bobs. But it, it was what it was. There was a really funny, um, I don't know if anybody will remember Benny Hill nowadays, tragedy really, but Benny Hill was a comedian on TV at the time, famously overly sexist and not stuff you get away with now. Now, by any stretch of the imagination but he did a no. he did a version of world of sport but he called it sport <laughs> of world where everything yeah. was just reversed and uh so the football when they kicked the football it was the ball in reverse so it just flew to his foot it was quite funny at the time i suppose yeah you can you can youtube that it's on there on youtube we'll put the link on the website when we do it but but yeah but world of sport i never really watched it do you watch was it compulsive watching for you because you're well into your tv sports whereas i really wasn't uh, so well it, it was because for me it was well it was the thing it was depend on what sport was on because obviously on bbc one you had grandstand and so this was ITV's equivalent and this was a bit more I don't know it was, it was a bit more there were weirder sports on this sort of thing so Grandstand would be quite typical on a Saturday afternoon World of Sport would be you get some quite eclectic weird sports on there it was almost like sometimes like you get that what's that weird sports show you get in the middle of the night Transworld Sport Transworld um, Sport it, yeah it felt a bit like that on occasion sort of thing but yeah it was your only place to watch wrestling and British wrestling was a law unto itself back in the 80s yes um, it was Dickie Davis was a really good presenter it was it was you know I seem to remember the sort of thing you had this double bill of World of Sport and I can't I, I want to put these two together but I'm not sure if they are together but you had Saint and Greavesy that was, um, was, that in, was on in, Saturday in morning, the afternoon that was, well, it was Saturday lunchtime sort of thing. So St. Greasy mm. went up against Football Focus. Mm. Um, <laughs> these weird sort of, you know, art rival football rivalry sort of things. Had, just just for those oh. that won't have a clue who you're talking about, that was <laughs> who, that, who was Saint and who was, was Greavesy. It was, it was Ian St. John who was uh, and Jimmy Greaves, both ex-footballers from the sort of 60s, 70s era who, who played for, I think Ian St. John played for Liverpool and uh, Jimmy Greaves, I think was Tottenham. They, you know, they had a, a sort of, not love-hate, but sort of, you know, a, a sort of... Banter. Banter sort of relationship where they would talk about the week in football, basically. And this would be up against Football Focus, which was the BBC's early after early Saturday afternoon where they would be talking about... Whereas now you've got an entire afternoon of football with, you know, Jeff Stelling and, you know, all that kind of stuff on Sky TV. This you'd get like half an hour of football coverage before the games that all would all happen at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And then you'd, you'd choose whether to watch the results on World of Sport or Grandstand. They were, it was always dependent on what sport, but I was quite sad when world of sport did end because i think it was it wasn't it was a decent alternative to grandstand and like you said i, I quite liked my 
TV sport back in the 80s. Did you watch um, the on the ball section of that, which was a preview of the day's football action? Yeah, I think so. That was, yeah, that was that was, I'm that, thinking that, was of. Part, that was a segment of World of Sport. Yes, that was early in the afternoon. That was the bit it was up against. I think you had Saint and Greasy, then it went into that. Although Saint and Greasy may have come later. I always find it hard to sort of place these in the timeline. I'm just, um, I'm just looking at the list of eclectic sports they covered. And this reads like Summer Games 2 or Summer Games 3. This, yeah, this is what I mean. Yeah. So you've got in here, for example, hockey, netball, lacrosse, water skiing, stock car racing, ice, yes. speedway, NASCAR, world barrel jumping championships, show yep. jumping and equestrian, and it even showed snooker. So, that was oh, the oh, thing. Ten, don't forget was... 10 pin bowling and kart racing. Grandstand was very BBC. It was very BBC in the 80s. It was very British. There's a British sports. We'd have lots of snooker. We'd have lots of this sort of thing. World of sport. Like, like trans world sport. These are sports from around the world that we, we've got some rights to show. Like you said, barrel jumping. Why the hell not? And so, yeah, it was it was, it was much more entertaining than Grandstand ever was. And, of course, it had the uh, the results service. It, yeah, which is where you got the uh, footy results. From the yeah, because people did the pools, of course. Do you want to know the rules of the... I, I know the rules of the uh, pools. <laughs> I, just, I just know that that was something that people tuned into the halftime and results <laughs> service for. You, ha- you had to get 24 or 23 points. You got three points for a score draw, two for a non-score draw, one for an away win, I think, and zero for a home win. Uh, so you wanted basically... Eight score draws and so you could buy up to I think 12 crosses but the more you bought the less your chance you right the less your odds were of winning or the more your odds were the less you actually won if you only bought 8 and got 8 you won the jackpot <laughs> there you go <laughs> my misspent my misspent youth <laughs> filling well, putting X's the thing in. is this, the things that just don't exist now but the pool's man used to come round he did was the guy the that came round yeah, yeah exactly the pool's man and the pop man and all these things existed <laughs> in this world because they didn't have such thing as the mobile internet the internet or anything else actual human contact you know something that in these dark times is a rare treat it was uh, it, you know it was a time when people were more social and you could have complete strangers who would come around to your house to check on your gambling habit uh, perf- perf- perfectly <laughs> normal in every way followed by a man who would sell you dubious pop yeah bah from the company called Bar, the mysterious bar organisation. Yeah, and then so. a guy who come around with a suitcase with loads of bags of sweets. Well, dodgy or sweets or otherwise, they sure made a da- good dandelion and burdock. They so, did. Yeah. And we, had, yeah. we had many many a stained cup. Yes, well, he would do with that because it is... <laughs> he yeah, that, would. It's got dandelions and burdock in it. <laughs> right, let's quickly move on to films. So the films in released in the UK in September 85, Desperately Seeking Susan on the 6th of September. Mm, AKA Desperately Seeking Story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a, fan, I'm a big fan of this. It's, it's more, I think it's the most highly regarded of Madonna's films. Which isn't saying maybe a lot. Dick, oh, no, Evita maybe would Dick, be the, maybe, Evita's probably the best one, I think. Uh, maybe Dick Tracy, I don't know. No. <laughs> but Desperately Seeking Susan, because pretty much Madonna is not the point of it. It's got Rosanna Raquette and... Uh, I yeah, can't she, remember the bumps, guy, she bumps the guy's her head, doesn't she, and thinks she, <laughs> yeah. she is Madonna essentially in that. Yeah, so, so you know, and Into the Groove is from that film. It is, yes. It's very much a mid eighties high concept film. Followed the week after uh, by Cocoon. Aye, uh, how Cocoon, many UAPs can you September. fit in a bath? Turns out quite a few. Quite a few, yeah. Especially if the it's good film, Cocoon aliens. actually. Yeah, it's an film. interesting film. It's you know, it's another one explaining why who made Steve Guttenberg a star. Oh, of course, it's Steve Guttenberg in that. Yes. It's his Steve Brian Dennehy as well. It's that bit where he loses his thing, doesn't he? He loses the uh, glows. Oh, that's he, right, yeah. He, oh, where okay. shows that they're aliens sort of thing. No, Anyone I don't know, Cocoon was some aliens that could make people young with special water. That's all I remember. That's all there is to know. it, really. And then insert old people who go young shenanigans. And then there's sadness about it at the end, which I'm not going to say because that would spoil it for anyone that was thinking of brushing off and watching Cocoon. And then we had, on the 20th of September... Um, we had two films released, The Holcraft Covenant, 
Never heard of it. Well, the whole Croft covered Michael Caine film. That doesn't um, necessarily it, mean a good thing. And that, this time he's going through somewhat of a dark period. Well, according to IMDb, this is the son of a German general becomes part of a mysterious conspiracy to gain hidden Nazi funds. There, sounds, there, was, a, there was a few of those kind of films around that time. Uh, Boys from Boys. Brazil was around that time, wasn't it? And Marathon yeah. Man and stuff like that. So Yeah, exactly. It was di- directed by John Frankenheimer, okay. uh, who, who did Island of Dr. Moreau and Ronin. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so, you know... Enough, um, and then there was Code of Silence on the same day. Now, I believe Code of Silence is a Chuck Norris film, isn't it? It has all the hallmarks of one. If it's not, because that sounds like a Chuck Norris title, it certainly is. Code of Silence is a Chuck Norris. A Chicago cop is caught in the middle of a gang war uh, while his own comrades shun him because he wants to take down an irresponsible cop. The picture has him wielding a massive shotgun. It sounds to me like that role could have been played by him or any one of ten action heroes at that time. It's got a great tagline, which, which is, is Eddie Cusack's a good cop having a very bad day. Cobra. <laughs> it's, it's, well, the thing is, it's easy to to think of the 80s and just focus on Schwarzenegger and um, Stallone movies. And you can forget things like Delta Force and Code of Science and those exist. And Chuck Norris movies are actually pretty good. Um, no, they're not to be sniffed at. So <laughs> They're not, because well, it's got a good action pedigree. You know, this, this, this guy fought Bruce Lee. I mean, come on. He did? No, and that is a great fight scene, whichever way you look at it. Because I mean, it yeah. does go on forever in that movie, but that's by the by. So I would recommend you, you revisit, if you get an opportunity some of the old Chuck Norris action movies from the 80s because they're pretty good the soundtrack's always good just don't look into his local more recent politics because that might might put you off him (laughs) but uh, ignore that just go back to the 80s when he was kind of you know the Chuck Norris that could literally punch the uh, beak off a seagull (laughs) do you know who else is in uh, Code of Silence Um, Uh, Henry Henry Silver oh of course he is of course he is yeah is it bullshit or not or not (laughs) and there's also Ralph Foodie is played by Craggy I thought he was going to say Ralph McTell no he's played by Craggy oh Craggy well he's he's probably in quite a lot of stuff yeah oh no sorry Ralph Foodie plays Craggy I was going to say it's still likely to be that way round Alan Hamilton plays Pirelli I'm hoping he's the maker of the tyres I suspect he's probably a gangland (laughs) Italian mafioso that they've just hey I'm Pirelli hey you messed with Pirelli <laughs> you wake up I with leave, a tire in your bed. I leave my tread on you. <laughs> I'll give him a tire he won't refuse. Absolutely. <laughs> it's time to change the wheels on this guy. Jimmy Two Tires <laughs> is in that film, surely. <laughs> Sounds like you need an axling. <laughs> I'm going to go get my tires changed. My tires changed. It's, it's Jimmy Two Tires. <laughs> Right, enough now. The code of silence must now be switched on. We must now enact the code of silence. <laughs> yes, the Cosa Nostra. Immediately. There we go. Well, on that note, uh, that ends our rumination on films and TV uh, from <laughs> September 1985. Uh, I leave you with the tyres. <laughs> Welcome back. That were the films, and now we've got more games for you. So uh, uh, another three games that were reviewed in this issue, September 95 of Zap 64. We've got our cricket face-off, bowl-off, run-off, whatever you want to call it. We're going to start off with Beefy Botham. Ian Beefy Botham. Beefy Botham. <laughs> Ian Beefy Botham's Test Cricket. Ah, oh, yeah, this is crap. Yes, simple. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> this, this is really bad. And in fact, my, my comment on this is, what is with crap cricket games? So this is, my comment, trying to fit all the pitch on the screen is a bad idea. It's really bad. You, you've got Especially at that angle. I, what angle is it? I couldn't work it out. I want to use the term <laughs> isometric, but it's sort it's, of not. It's not. I don't know what it is. It's an angle. Let's yes. leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> it's an angle. So 
You then, so I don't remember. I, I, this game was crap. The thing was, you, you you start off by placing your players around the pitch. You do, and and then you just try and play cricket. But I I think I gave up after about two bowls. Yeah, I I couldn't go on. It was it was just rubbish. Yep. Um, I mean, even Zap. And remember, Zap have given Rupert seventy one. They give five aside sixty. They've given this thirty two. This should Ooh. tell you some way of the quality of this game. This is and this was nine ninety five. And again, the other thing as well, which I did note, is similar to uh, Mig Ace. This says nineteen eighty four on the credits. Mm. This feels like a there's something going on in the cricket world probably at this time. Maybe the the ashes are on or, yeah. or something's going on. So this feels like a quick cash grab. And it's nine pound. This is you know premium pricing. It's rubbish for for rip off. What is a, a piece of ass? It's rip off. It's a rip off. I I I put it's awful in every way. It is. Yeah. I put the awful advert last time was better than this game. Yeah, and that's saying something, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, no, I managed to get someone out on the first bowl. Of, uh, I don't know how. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> and then, I don't know if this happened to you, a giant duck appeared yes. and, and coughed up the cricket ball. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is going on? No, nope, no that was idea. when I was just reaching slowly for the off button going, yes, you shall never be seen again in <laughs> Botham Cricket Game. You are yeah. no more. And uh, I needed to erase it from my eyes. It was awful, awful, awful. <laughs> it was crap. I mean, we're, we're, we're usually, you know, not so harsh on games, but this, I think I prefer to play Tim Loves Cricket. If you yeah. force me to play a cricket game. <laughs> if you, if, and you'd need to be, there's, if there was a, a bullet in the head was an option at this point, you'd be thinking, looking at these three games and looking at the end of that gun going, I'm, I'm debating this and I'm sure should I be debating this? Should I just go for this cricket game? But bonanza, honestly, it's oh, awful. No, between awful. Just, I don't get why they can't get it right, you know. And it doesn't get much better, even with the bloody next one, does it? No. So let's move on because I don't want to talk about cricket too long, sort of thing. So Graham, our next one is our other cricket staff around the time, sort of thing. I'm surprised there's no. Well, what's his name? Um, the Yorkshire guy, Jeff Boycott. Jeff Boycott. Yeah. Surely a Jeff Boycott. There will cricket. be somewhere. Jeff Boycott. Somewhere along the line. Bonanza golf cricket bonanza or something. <laughs> Uh, Graham Gooch's Test Cricket. This was much better received. Got a, got a 73. It was £8.95, so cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, it's certainly the best cricket game we've looked at. It's pretty fast. It's mm. nice big sprites, well animated. It looks like cricket, at least. Yes. There's there's some decentness to it. It's like, how's that? Is that in this one? Yeah. <laughs> there's the speech, um, which made me laugh. There's, you know, people get past it. It moves past it. There's replays. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this. I hated the menus. What, they mean the... Clickathon. You have to wait until the player you want comes around again. Why is it doing this? Yeah, and you just have to click, click, in, click, 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 click. Choose your players. Click, 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 click. Choose your yeah. players' positions. Click, 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 click. Would you like this? <laughs> click. Would you like that? Click. Just let me start the damn game already. <laughs> yeah. But it's for it's, it's it is for real cricket enthusiasts because all those are legitimate cricket player names with yep. le- legitimate cricket player stats, and this is for the real stars. This is the football manager equivalent, I think, really, of cricket games. So people who really like cricket and know their cricketers, we're going to love all that. Yeah, because the first time i played it i played the simulation mode yeah and i don't think you actually played in that mode i couldn't i didn't seem to be doing anything it was just playing itself yeah and i thought at that point maybe i'm just i'm the manager yeah I thought, okay but in you know then i tried arcade mode um and in that i could actually swing stuff and hit yeah. things sort of thing it, it, it's cricket it's you well, know they got the perspective right didn't they finally yes so they that- did they so did. that that position for a cricket game is the right position. Strangely, it's the one that they use when they actually show cricket on TV. So that would have been a giveaway. So when they <laughs> when they choose to film cricket, what they don't do is set the camera seventeen miles from the cricket. 
<laughs> cricketers at a really jaunty angle and they expect that to work. Um, they do just sort of pitch it behind the umpire and up slightly. Why? Because you can see everything that's going on. <gasps> yeah, Heaven and they cut fend. as well. So, so they cut to the field as well when stuff's going on, you know, when you hit the ball. So it's a close-up on the on the um, crease. It's a, so it's a close-up on the crease. So the bit where the, where the, where the actual the action happens in cricket, so the bowler runs up and it hits it, then it cuts to an, a wider view of the different parts of the, you know, uh, the pitch where the field is and might get caught out or people run, catch it and throw it back. And it moves at quite a decent pace. Uh, you know, as, as, as a cricket, this is the best one we've looked at. And that may be damning with faint praise because the others were garbage. But, you know, as a representation of the sport, like you said, I think yeah. this this would please people who liked cricket more than any of the others would. Yeah, in, in the prettiest turd competition, this one was the winner. <laughs> um, and I have to say, I mean, the dubiously titled Graham Gooch, it's good job it's that way around and not Graham's Gooch because no one wants to go there. So, and That's if you don't funny. know what that's referring to, just Google the Gooch and you'll soon find out which part of a male anatomy that is, or should I say which area between the male anatomy that is. Oh. Yeah, so nobody wants to go near that crease. Oh. <laughs> The gooch is too near the crease. <laughs> that must have been said by somebody in a cricket commentator. Must have said Graham Gooch is too near the crease. <laughs> oh, ball before wicket. <laughs> anyway, out of, the, out of the crap cricket games, this is the least crappest. So there you Absolutely. go. That's, that's yeah, my... There you go. So that's uh, you know, zap to the past. Cricket recommendation is Graham Gooch's Test yeah, cricket. Go for Gooch. If if you really don't like yourself, grab it by the gooch. <laughs> if in doubt, go for the gooch. <laughs> <laughs> Which should be surprised in a lot of situations that can get you out of it. <laughs> if you put the three surnames together, you get Love Botham's Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> no one. No. <laughs> Love Botham Gooch. Ew. No I one loves Botham's Gooch. No one loves Botham's Gooch. Not even his wife. Goodness. No. 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 <laughs> Too near the crease. Uh. Too near the crease. Actually, this, the next title of this could be a could be further play on this sort of thing. Our next game, okay, we've had the advert. Let's now look at the first of what is going to be a series of games from a a, a company that is going to go on to define certain areas of video games. Yep. Uh, I think it's safe to say they're going. To, we're going to get four games from these in quick succession over the next few months. That are like another step above. Um, and this is the first one. So we're going to look at Rescue on Fractalis, a, a, a delicious play on pun on words for that title there, Fractalis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for what it is sort of thing. So Rescue on Fractalis. We've we've spoken about the advert. Essentially, it's a, a it's sort of a rescue flight sim where you you pilot a craft over fractally generated mountain land, mountainous alien landscapes to land on them when you you're rescuing downed pilots uh shooting uh attacking ufos and uh, gun emplacement uh and trying to bring back um all your you know your colleagues who have for whatever reason are stranded on this alien planet it's not a hundred percent successful in its viewpoint not a hundred percent it kind of works um, and it's got one of the one of the good things it does have. It has a great atmosphere. It mm-hmm. really does have a really great atmosphere to this. The, the, the fractal graphics sort of thing. So what it could do is it would generate these these graphics on the fly using. I'm not a, fractal a mathematician. Yeah. Fractal mathematics. So this was doing something different rather than sort of having these you know mountainous landscapes pre-rendered and pre-programmed in. It was generating them on the fly, procedurally, I guess. This is early yeah, procedural generation it it does, to some yeah. degree. Um, and so it was very clever in that respect. But they didn't quite quite work. There's, it's not quite solid enough. This would be bettered in the, in the later games. So essentially what you're doing is you're flying over these mountains, shooting down ships, landing 
um, and, and rescuing your pilots who would uh, who would run up. And the great thing is, you know, you, you would once you once you'd rescued them all, you just simply press a key and get beamed back up to your mothership. Elite, take a lesson. Um, you just get straight back up and then thrown back out again. You get down to the next level and off you do. And you repeat and, re- you know, just repeat. Um, it has some really, really nice touches. Not all the people that you rescue are people. That's right. Uh, sometimes they are aliens. Um, and as you have a great sequence of events and what you have to do to get the people there. So you have to initiate landing. So you have to slow down and initiate, find a place to land. When you're close enough, because your, your radar will start flashing, so you have to initiate landing and land. When you land, you put the landing gear down, and then you have to turn off all your system. Otherwise, you've got like a radio, you know, you've like got a, to turn off your shield. Yeah. You've got a force field around your ship, haven't you? Yet, so you've got to yeah. turn off your shield. Um, that will then instigate the, the the your down pilot to come running towards you. They will run underneath your cockpit. So at this point, you're you're waiting for two things. One, you'll hear like a really cool bang on the bang, bang on the uh, the hull, the door. Uh, and if you hear that, you open the airship, they climb on in, you close up, take off again, fine. Other time sort of thing, you get a big green alien hammering on the uh, windscreen um, and you've got to turn back on your shields quickly to vaporize them. It's not that hard, but it's fun. You know, mm. this is a fun, fun, fun exploratory game. And you can see uh, as a proof of concept of what's going to come later with games like Corona's Rift, Ballblazer um, and the Eidolon. Uh, this is a, a good first start. There's some really nice touches to this. Um, my favourite, and I, I don't think I've seen this in other games, is the dual altimeter bar. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, so you've got a bar with a red part at the bottom and a, on mm-hmm. a white part that goes up. And the red part is is the the height of the landscape below you. And the white right. bar that is above it is how high you are above the landscape. Yeah. So as you the red bar gets close to the top of the white bar, you know you're closer to the ground. And because it's simulating, you know, flying over a mountainous, rugged landscape, it's a really, really clever system. So you constantly know your height without having to tell you you're at this. Because, you know, being 400 feet high is of no use if the landscape below you is 380 feet high. The closeness to what you are to it is what you need to know. And this is a really elegant system to actually Mm. display that information. Really clever. I enjoyed my time with this. I thought it was good. What did you think? It was good then. And it's good now. I think I would go one step further. I think this is possibly the world's first first-person shooter um, because it's almost from a first-person perspective, really. Yeah. Because you're looking out of the eyes of somebody, whether it's through a visor or a screen or a front of a spaceship. It's procedurally generated landscapes. That's pioneering. It's, like you say, it's early days, but it's pretty brave to even try it on a machine like C64. The ideas behind the game, like you say... There are f- little finishing touches. Uh, the altimeter is what altimeter is one of them. The idea that every some, sometimes the pilots that you rescue are not who they appear to be, and they can get inside your spaceship if you let them, and that can cause all sorts of problems. And they have a different knock, which you have to listen for. Um, yeah. So, and you've got to be careful with that. Also, of course, if you're feeling mean, you don't have to let the people you're rescuing in, and they bang repeatedly on the door, and then gradually it slows down, and then you let them die, which is a bit mean. And you can do that, but it's <laughs> little touches like that that make it kind of special. And so it has that. About it because obviously the planet that you're on is completely toxic which is why you've got shields and why your pilots have got a short amount of time for to be rescued before they all die which is why you've got to go and get them because it's the radiation you're shielded from the radiation you pick up that's how it works so there's a lot to like about this i like the graphics in the annals of these games i preferred this to corona's rift just because i found corona's rift a bit confusing but when we do repeat play that i might have a different perspective but in this early version and um, this is the what the almost the the pioneering lucas arts games really so lucas yeah, arts even though to it's from this is lucas arts yeah. so it's, it's so it's an activision game but it's lucas arts behind the scenes the ball blazer lucas arts and this was their first kind of foray into what was for them 
completely new territory. And as you say, they start to genre define in a very quick space of time. Still done some amazing stuff. This is, I think, a very early, arguably first-person shooter. Really, really neat idea. Apparently, the idea for the change, because originally it was just go to the ground, pick up the people, take off. And then the person who said um, it might be a good idea to make some of the people you pick up the aliens was George Lucas himself. So there you go. There's a little interesting. Yes, that's a little trivial fact for you. This has had the hand of George Lucas in it. Ironically, he didn't insert politics or lots of crazy (laughs) scenes of people arguing in a giant arena um, and all sorts of stuff like that. But I really enjoyed it. I think it's graphically great. I think it's good fun. I I can see it getting a bit repetitive, but um, you know, it's quite a challenge to get in because it gets harder. You know, you get suicide UFOs later down that just ram into you and stuff. So you've got a little bit of that to navigate and the landscape, you can't argue with not being varied because it's completely random every time. So sometimes I think it gets confusing in in layout because you can get a bit lost in your visuals. So you're trying to sort of get your bearings a bit and you're not quite sure, even with the altimeter, you're not quite sure whether you're going to hit the ground where you are with things and the distance. Sometimes it's hard to judge the distance of how far things are away from you by the visuals. On the radar and things, you've got a good idea, but when you're shooting at things, you're not quite sure where things are at and what's going on. I think that's that's what Coronas Rift does better in it. This is all single colour, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's like I say, yeah, it is. But at the same time, it's it's got a special place for me, this rescue on Fractalus. I lost count the amount of people I've left to die on planets just so I could listen to them knocking helplessly on the outside of my spaceship, (laughs) Um, which maybe says a lot about me. But uh, yeah, a a clever little game, very well put together. But this that was LucasArts thing. And as we will see from them, they go to some an amazing place with some of their games. This is, you know, imagine this is your starting point. Right, this is like, this, you're going to be this yeah, good yeah. from the start. You know, this, and you look at some of the other games that we've had to endure compared to this where they've started. You know, and you think, well, th- this is how to do it. If you're going to do it, do it like that. Yeah. Great, great game. Really good fun. I say, I don't know how much if you were doing this for 50 levels, I don't know how much fun it would be out of 50 landings and 50 pickups and 50 takeoffs and all the rest of it. But it keep you entertained for a couple of hours. I think that's that's yeah. good value for money in my book. Did playable to this day. But yeah, it's good. Rescue on Fractalis is worth a look back sort of thing because, like we said, it is the starting point for Lucas Arts, Lucas Games, Lucas Films. Whatever I can never get the name right at this point. But yeah, it's, it's, it's Lucas Arts at this point. It's Lucas Arts, isn't it? Yeah. So from you know what they go on to do sort of thing, and like I said, this run of four games that they suddenly just unleash uh, because these are I think these were Atari 800 games, weren't they? And they were like, you won't get these running on the C64. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, um, and so and like like, that, like, yeah. like like Drop Zone before it, when it, in in the hands of capable developers, the C64 is more than more than enough to actually render these games and do them justice. Um, and I think that's Absolutely. another example of that here. So yeah, we we like Rescue on Fractalis. It took away the taste of uh, the uh, cricket gooches, put it that way. They're there's uh, uh, those three games. Sorry about the uh, cricket. Let's move on. So we're going to look at uh, uh, one of the features from Zap uh, and have a bit of a chat about that in our next section. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Okay, welcome back. So we've looked at just looked at there on uh, Rescue and Fractalis. What have we got now? We're going to look at something from this issue of Zap 64. A little bit light on features in, uh, in this mm. issue, but what they have started... Is they've started their own comic, and the comic they have chosen to do is it's Oliver Frey who's managed to get them to agree to do this sort of thing. Uh, this is the Terminal Man. So Graham, tell us about the Terminal Man. I don't know a lot. Of, it's not something I followed or 
I wasn't really into comics at the time. Later came to sort of like them. I never really do- dove into it, The Terminal Man. So I don't know if it's based on the film The Terminal Man or whether it's based on something else about The Terminal Man. All I can really say is that it was, I don't know how many, did it run for 12 episodes, I think, in total? I think I think so, yeah. There was a there was a part two as well, I seem to remember later. Yeah, I think so. And believe it or not, you can actually buy it as a book, separate book now, so you can find Amazon because you can get The Terminal Man. So it's something to do with some kind of crash of a, a spaceship, a giant spaceship like a like a, like a cruise liner type spaceship, I think. And it crashes on this peculiar planetary system unknown to man. It's uh, it's it's a complete, nobody knows anything. And then obviously they've got to try and survive and it's a quest. They've got to try and get back to Earth. So it's a bit of a quest to get back. And this particular man steps up to become the hero of the Terminal Man. And the comic is about that, that journey, that quest of trying to get back to Earth from this strange place where they've found themselves. That's the, the story in a nutshell. The actual episode one that's in the in this issue sort of sets the tone for the very first, I think the very first image if I remember it is the crashing spaceship blowing into blowing up and on fire it's a really dramatic image of a fireball and smashing into the earth and stuff like that that's as much as I remember of it I don't remember getting into it in a big way but I still I do remember when I was revisiting this looking at this how amazing the comic artwork is and how confused I was that Oliver Frey did not do more comics maybe he did I don't know did it, what do you know about Oliver Frey I they, know very little beyond I, he did I've Zap, actually Zap met him and he's, a, he's a lovely guy I met him at, uh, at the replay convention at Blackpool many moons ago a lovely lovely guy and I don't I don't even then I, I think I got a bit starstruck and I don't remember asking him much about <laughs> how or why why he did things he did because he was very much a contract super art contractor so he just did all this stuff because he was paid to do it and, and just did the best he could and as you can see his artwork is amazing so uh, but you were were you into these kind of comics were you into your dread comics and stuff like that so was um, this did this appeal to you because at the time i wasn't into it so i didn't buy into it really it did yes um i mean i remember reading at the time i thought it was really good i think like like you i was more taken by the artwork he, he just had an ability uh he had a particular style. You know, I, I, I was, what, 12, 13? It's not like I was a, some kind of art aficionado or anything or knew much about what was going on in the art world. This was pre-internet, so you, you kind of got what you got in the papers or something like that. You know, you didn't see much. But I did like uh, I did like uh, 2000 AD. I was a 2000 AD fan back in uh, around that time. Um, so I liked things like Judge Dredd, Slain, Nemesis, um, and, and that kind of thing. I was a more, more of a Judge Dredd fan and some classic stuff like that. I had a f- couple of friends who um, were really into it and, and I, I would read their copies of their comics. And, and, and I really liked that sort of, sort of, you know, that sort of dystopian sci-fi type of deal that Judge Dredd sort of, you know, reveled in. Um, I'm not sure many other comics that were around at the time. I, I was never a big classic Marvel DC comics fan. No, Those kind of no, things no, did, did absolutely nothing for me. They just were, you know, over, over my head or around me sort of thing. They were just... I just was wasn't a big superhero fan. Um, no. I, I don't think you know. I, I preferred stuff where things were a bit darker and a bit grimmer and a bit grittier. Yeah. Um, uh, and and the superhero stuff always seemed a bit. It seemed it just seemed a bit too American. Um, I yeah. Preferred, well, I preferred I the British on it. Yeah. I liked I liked Eagle for that reason. I liked Dan Dare. I liked that whole. You know. I liked the reissue of Eagle that came out in the very early. Was it very late seventies, early eighties? Wasn't it? So around nineteen eighty, when you had a the, the Eagle was reissued after sort of an absence and. Dan Day was in that and this has that kind of feel the to- the tonality of this and the language of this is certainly not something that's made for your average kid I mean just look at this listen to this dialogue and this is from the Terminal Man one of his sort of principal speeches in the comic book he says uh, this system is a Dyson sphere its outer worlds have been broken up and brought in to form a sphere close to the binary star 
that technology to build such a thing is not yet available to man and none have ever been found in the Milky Way galaxy, you must face the fact that, that we ourselves may not be in that galaxy anymore. This is not aimed at average Joe 10-year-old or 15-year-old. This is, you know, this is adult, not adult in tonality and by, you know, rude, rudeness or anything. But, you know, it's complex science description stuff. It's proper sci-fi. Yeah. And um, and totally refreshing to find in something like a computer magazine. I mean, they were just innovators in that space, Zap. Yeah, they weren't afraid to try something different. It's like, you know no, what? Absolutely we, we, not. Because yeah, I think, at the, you know, at this point, sort of thing, we're five, five issues in. There's probably been a lot of praise for the, um, the artwork on the covers and everything, I would imagine. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, they've probably gone chat to Oliver Frey and he's gone, yeah, well, I could probably do that. I wouldn't mind doing a comic. And they've probably just got, yeah, okay. They're, they're not afraid to try this. You know, yeah, why not? Why not put a sci-fi comic at the back end of SAP? Why not? It just seems like such a natural thing to sort of put in there because it's in their wheelhouse, in that demographic. It is something that's going to stretch your readers. Your readers are, you know, of a certain age sort of thing will probably be, I imagine sort of thing, if you had a Venn diagram of, of like Crash, Zap and 2000 AD readers, there'd be a quite, a, you know, There'd be a big overlap between, you know, your readers of your Crash and Zap and 2000 AD. That would be quite a big overlap, I think. So I think there was they probably knew that, the you know, the type of games that people were playing, the type of games that were being made, these sort of sci-fi games, and the type of films that were coming out that people were probably enjoying. Your films like, I don't know if Aliens is out at this point, but certainly films like Alien, Blade Runner, and all that kind of stuff that these these guys were probably loving. You know, your birth of video and all the sci-fi stuff and the weirdness that were probably hitting VHS video. It was a big sort of... I, I remember sort of thing being, you know, 13 at this time and there just being so much stuff to watch. Um, you know, mm. not Netflix-style stuff, but loads of new weird stuff that was on video um, and coming out of the cinema. Not your Holcraft Covenants and stuff like that, but there was older films or older sort of sci-fi stuff was kind of becoming a bit more of a a bit more accessible and so this to me seems like a this is a logical thing to include but i think you're right this is a this is a not brave but this is you know them eschewing that typical oh you need some listings you need some that sort of thing no let's let our great cover artists put their comic in there do you want to know some interest some interesting trivia about oliver frey himself yeah go for it yeah so firstly he was a director of uh, Newsfield. Um, so he was one of the directors of the magazine itself. Secondly, um, he actually drew Dan Dare. Oh, really? He's one of the original artists. And also, and here's an interesting fact. He, do you, I don't know if you remember it, but do you remember the opening cartoon in or comic strip bits in the original Superman movie, Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve? Right at the beginning, before at the beginning, there's like a little comic strip. Vaguely, um, vaguely. Yeah, that's Oliver Frey who drew that. Wow. <laughs> so the guy's got a pedigree, and so for him to just you know decide to produce this comic strip and just put it in the magazine he happens to be working with I think that's amazing um, and the guy has got a crazy crazy pedigree of art if you look back over his history it's not just about Dan Dare but there's no he's worked for some of the some of the real big hitters in in illustration and in com- commercial illustration the guy is prolific and so what you're looking at is a comic made by someone who really knows how to make them yeah and it looks it looks great and it, you know it's, it does it, it's fantastic it's a you know I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's very different and there's some not huge I mean what is it about six pages long but it's very much of its time it's almost like there's almost an element of sort of new barbarians in there sort of thing with the guys yeah. coming over the hills and to gather them up in nets or whatever and he just you know horribly freezes them with liquid oxygen or whatever it's like oh this is painful. Yep. <laughs> That's what... And it's written by a chap called Kelvin Gosnell, who was a writer for 
2000 AD. Yeah. So, it was just, it was, uh, and you, you can sort of see it, can't you? You can forget that vibe for it. Oh, absolutely. You could see. It. I'm surprised. Did Oliver Frey ever work for 2000 AD? It doesn't say in the in the uh, blurbs I've got. Um, but as an illustrator, I don't think so. But you know, you you could do a lot of digging. There's actually, if you uh, if you want to spend the time, we'll put some links in the website. There's actually some really good Oliver Frey compilation books and art books available. That you can buy. They're all about mm. 10 to 15 quid on Amazon, including the Terminal Man. You can buy that as a as a full t- paperback. It's 52 pages, so it's not like it's uh, going to be a big read. But if you want a little slice of uh, computer games history in a, in a little in a nice little um, comic book, then you can buy those. And of course, if you really like his artwork, in fact, let's face it, some people did so much they used it for their adverts. Um, so yes, uh, if you did. like his artwork, you've got, you can't go far wrong. If you know, I always thought the, cr- the covers that he did for did he do because he did Crash as well, right? So he did the covers for Crash, he did the covers for Zap, and then later Amtics, I think, and the later Am- and later, later Amstrad type magazines, and he also did all his comic book stuff and also this other stuff that he's done he must have fallen asleep and be continued to draw he just was drawing net non-stop I, I, I do seem to remember in one issue of zap i can't remember when it is but there's a they do a special on him and he's and he's uh his um process for painting him sort of thing and it shows you him you know some close-ups and i found that just a real fascinating view of sort of thing of just watching a a, a great artist at work with his little you know he, he does them all with you know air, airbrushed um and stuff like that and, and it's really really clever it's a really nice little article i, I can't remember what episode of, uh, sorry what issue of zap's in you know it's what we said about braybrook sort of thing they do these things about the creative process and they include those things in in their magazine and they're not afraid to do that which is quite unusual but it's like a celebration of these are the people that create this and it's how they do it because let's not forget sort of thing that running alongside all this sort of thing we've still got braybrook's paradroid diary as well yeah um, absolutely that's, 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 that's so these things are all there yeah but yeah no i i, I like the tone of I, I remember reading at the time and enjoying it i thought it was it was challenging to a 13 year old me <laughs> put it that way it was yeah. like okay this is this is unusual but i think because i liked judge dread and 2008 and stuff like that there was a, an immediate oh this is this is yeah, something that I will I will quite happily buy into and see where it goes. And I was always going to buy yeah. Zap, so so to me it was just like a a nice little cherry on top, should we say? Yeah, exactly. It goes without saying. Ollie Frey kind of is the is the kind of sets the tone and the graphics and the notions and the ideas for the kind of Sinclair spectrum, and he is that kind of visual voice for the for the era of video games at that time because the he his job was to take all those inspired ideas and make covers for them for those magazines which he did yeah. with, with with amazing skill and um, I imagine he's probably still very he must be still drawing still making amazing I artwork I, thought, I don't I, doubt that I thought he passed away didn't he uh, I don't know that, don't know that. I can't find anything to say that he has I thought he so, did I thought, well, I thought it was a few few years back I thought, I thought I seem to remember a big sort of outpouring of like he passed away I may be wrong there's, no, there's nothing in his um, biography um, that says that and there's the web there's an oliverfreightart.com which features a load of stuff about him I don't know that it's um, it doesn't say there that he's passed away in the, but if you're really interested in the history no, of Oliver not, Frey no. and, and oh that's good you know, oh, I've, I've been disillusioned for that. I thought he died no no he's, he's, he's still he's still going strong and um, but like I say there's a website oliverfreightart.com and it's got his biography and loads of links to the stuff that he's done and so if you're really interested you can go and find out more about him um, and see what uh, you can even buy original Oliver Frey artworks and he's done the by the way he's done the cover for a few times now for Retro Gamer the Retro Gamer magazine so oh yeah that sounds about but this right. was Terminal Man I would suggest that if you know if you want to go and read it I've read this 
obviously this issue and I, my intention is to actually read it in serial so as we do each of these podcasts I'm going to read it each time so I can get a kind of a feel for what it would have been like to pick it up on, a, on that kind of series magazine issue by magazine issue basis so I'm quite interested to find out what happens next yeah no it's good I seem to remember it being interesting enough there we go Oliver Frey and Terminal Man uh, that's our feature for this month sorry not this month yeah this month's uh, issue of Zap 64 we'll round off there and we'll be back in a few moments with our last three games for this issue mm, yeah they're fun see you in a bit Welcome back uh, to our last section where we're going to go through our last three games from this issue of Zap 64. Uh, Round up what we've talked about, pick our favourites from uh, this issue, uh, look at the last few crapverts, what was riding high, and then the charts, um, and then what we can expect, hopefully, from uh, next time. Uh, So let's crack on. We've got three games to do. Uh, Our first one um, is something called Out on a Limb. You go, you go for it. Go on, have it. Okay. So, the initial screen of this game, what it looked like a compilation of other games had been smashed into each other and just exploded, and bits of those <laughs> games were flying around. <laughs> so the manic miner guy was flying about in there. Um, so I, I initially thought this is a manic miner derivative, and I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm, this isn't this isn't started well. Then I started the game, and I was playing. I think I'm pretty sure that's the Mario character. I thought that this had been hacked. Uh, but I'm looking at a screenshot here in Zap, and no, it's not. So is that is it me, or is is it the Mario? I character? thought it was. I thought this was the Mario sprite from from something with it from Donkey Kong or something. But it's clearly it's 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 not. <laughs> it, but it looks like it is. Yeah. So the so the so it's ripped off sprites. I think in actuality, I'm pretty sure because the opening sequence definitely had Manic Miner sprite in it, without a doubt. Or was it Jet Set Willy or whichever one? But it had the little guy out of one of those games. So and then so you've got the, the a Mario esque character, shall we say? I'm pretty sure it's Mario. And then the idea of the game was that you've got to jump continuously upwards on this giant bean beanstalk, and then when you get to the top of that, you've got to jump on the clouds, and when you get on that, you've got to jump on more clouds, and you're going up. And I'm not sure where it all ends when you're just going up. And that's it. And avoiding the baddies, some of which are obvious, like the flying things, some of which are not, like the plants that uh, some kill you, some don't, but you never know where the, which ones do and which ones don't. Uh-huh. So it, yep. just, it has, I think, the most annoying jump sound of any game ever. <laughs> so it's got a... In fact, I'll even put a little... I'll record it and I'll, I'll put include it just after that so you get a flavour of how annoying that is. So, and you've got that, so you jump, <laughs> you've got to jump up with that sound, avoiding the things... It, you have to be reasonably pixel perfect to land on things because if you don't, you're going to get dropped to your death. It gets really annoying on the clouds, especially on the moving clouds, because when you jump on a moving cloud, you have to walk with it, which is one of my pet eights for platform games when you have to do that. Other than that, this game has nothing else to offer. The main jack sprite, for want of a better description, if it's the beast, there is speech in it as well. Um, yeah. So when you start, um, it shouts, I can't remember what it shouts now, it's that forgettable, but this crack, it's that kind of crackly speech, you know, so it's not like the, hey, don't shoot me kind of speech from the Epics games. It's kind of more of a, kind of, you know, it's got that, <laughs> Flemmy kind of crackling that, that means it's a really low quality sample, really low bit rate, like crazy bit rate. So two bit samples in it, awful. And when you die, I'm pretty sure it shouted F off, um, but you guys can play that and play it for yourself and see. But I'm pretty sure it, the giant, I'm assuming that the giant is at the top of this thing, shouts F off. It doesn't mention that in the Zap review, so I'm not sure whether that is what it says. Either way, this game is just rubbish. Um, it's not enjoyable. It's, it's strange enough, it does, it does have that odd 
annoying quality that these games have, which is you kind of want to just further up to see what's up there. But once you do get up there and you're in the clouds and it's just more clouds and more clouds. And I don't know, maybe there's more to it than that after the top of that because you've got to get to the obviously the top of the bean shoot. And I don't know what happens if you do. If I think of games where I'm climbing towers to get to places, there is only one game in that list that is anywhere near, that is brilliant and definitely, and there is nothing ever that came close to it. So, um, ever. So this game just, you know, you can't really compare those two anyway. But this game is just awful in every respect, and I felt that it was borrowed sprites as well, which makes it kind of worse. Well, I thought so. that as well. What game are you talking about? What? what? Nebulous. Oh, Nebulous. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Nebulous well. is, the, I think, one of the greatest climbing tower games of all time. Yes, Still absolutely. is to this day. Um, to, just to say something, it says FIFA fun at the start, and um, when you die, it says oh, got. God. It says got you. All uh, right, it's not what it sounds like. No, it's like the, it does, low, it does, low quality it does, samples it for you. Just got you. Um, I also thought as well, not just those. Um, the Mario sprite, which looked particularly neat. When you die, does it not say POW? Which yeah, looks, it does, yeah. Which is actually when you hit one of the turtles upside down, isn't it, in Mario yeah, Brothers? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the, I'm pretty sure the graphics are ripped off from really, Mario, so, Super, the Mario Brothers game on the C64. In fact, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up now, but I'm pretty sure. I think they look very, very similar. Um, yeah, this is garbage. Um, it's, it's just really bad sort of thing. It's... it's it's too pixel perfect. It's it's a flick screen climbathon with pixel perfect jumps. Really slow, really boring. For six quid, I put for six quid, I would feel violated by this. <laughs> this was um, this was really bad. Um, we know when there's something, the game we're going to look at in a minute, which it's not my cup of tea, I will say. Um, but I can imagine that people did like it sort of thing. Something that we're going to look at in a couple of games' time. This is a you know an appalling waste of everyone's time. You know it's just it's just bad, and, and it does like you said that power is very familiar. The main sprite is very familiar. It just is bad to play. The controls are rubbish. The sound is bad. The visuals are crap. That speech is awful. Everything about this is this bad bad game. There are better platforming games around, and it, and this is just. You're trying to sort of find some good in some of these things, and you're thinking, like you said, and yeah, I get what you're saying that you know there is that. Let's try and see what's higher up. Let's try and meet this challenge. But when the challenge feels so pixely perfect, and like you know, you climb a bit, and suddenly a plant kills you for no reason. Why does a cl- yeah. plant kill you? You just you, yeah. you just put off. You put off. You don't want to continue with it. And and so no, this is a this is a big fat no in every respect from me. So don't yeah, don't play out on a limb. Do something better with your time instead. Quote. Why don't you? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and I'm pretty sure I can't find any evidence of it to support it. I'm not going to bother trying anymore. I'm just reasonably sure that those graphics are ripped off. Definitely the POW. Pretty sure the Mario. Even if it's not fully ripped off, it's alarmingly similar enough to be what it is so rubbish just rubbish and it should even at 199 this would have been a push so no rubbish out on a limb cut that limb off yeah yeah awful okay let's move on let's quickly move on to our second last game this is the great american cross-country road race to <laughs> as it was known to its fans at the time <laughs> activision Release this if I remember rightly. Not to put too fine a point on it. This is Cannonball Run the game. Or you know, there's a bit. More, there's more to it than that sort of thing. And it, and it obviously there's there's no Sammy Davis Jr. in, in this sort of thing. Uh, there's no Dean Martin. There's no Burt Reynolds. There's no Dom DeLuise. What it is is essentially a an interesting take, a novel take on the driving game, having you racing from one side of America to another through various routes that you can pick and you can choose your own route. You know, outrun 
style-y, you know, in this mm-hmm. sense of the thing. So you drive from San Francisco to Washington or LA to New York or back again or Seattle to Miami or whatever. And so you you have a map of America with tracks that bisect cities as you go across. You select which one you want to head to and off you go, you drive. I played a lot of this back there. This is one of the games that I, I seem to remember playing playing a lot of. And it's it's all right. It's it's an in, it's an interesting take. The driving is not terrible. It's an interesting mechanic in the fact of for for an American game, I'm surprised that it actually uses like a clutch mechanic because the way this drives is you have gears which are not represented on screen that I could see, which was annoying to me because I couldn't quite figure out at first. So you hold down the fire button to go to bring all your revs up to full speed. Then you have to let go of the fire button and push up to change gear. That's uh, right. Hold down the fire button again to speed up. So like like a normal car going through the gears essentially. And so that's quite interesting. You have to make sure you don't run your engine at full revs otherwise it blows you have to stop to refuel on the trip to put extra fuel in the car uh you have to not go too fast otherwise police stop you there's some novel elements to this that do lift it above your normal it's not a racing game so much as you know some kind of weird travelathon thing mm, and it's okay movie. it's yeah it, 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 like i said it's cannonball run in what it wants to be and visually it's quite nice the road is quite well mm-hmm. well designed quite 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 nice the cars look okay everything moves at a decent clip it's all right i was unlike you know the horror show that was richard Pat- richard petty's talladega the other week um where i had uh, you know my memories cruelly ripped apart this was actually pretty decent i i quite enjoyed my time but this once i got used to the um to the driving mechanic of how to drive properly this was all right i don't know did you have any brief past history with this did you enjoy it did you not no, did it you- was a game that i never really played um before racing games were never a th- great passion of mine i don't mind pit stop too and those kind but these these kind of outrunny types i liked outrun the arcade i think i was just more into the music of that than the actual game but either way this was a, this actually wasn't that bad it added quite a nice clever intro with the exhaust fumes sort of disappearing and leaving the title of the game and that i quite like that and it looked like it had a lot of stats in the game so it looked like you know the race was going to take you some time you had to really think about it and i quite like that you know it's quite an un- it was a, just an unusual take for a game of this type so it wasn't just around the clock around the track who gonna get the fastest time this was just a bit more a bit more to it than that and it was essentially cannonball run slash you know that's based on the gumball race isn't it which is the famous cross-country american road race called the gumball yes so that's what that's loosely based on they weren't allowed to call it gumball i think it's of co- probably copyright reasons and it's actually an, an illegal race I think there's a well. film in there called The Gumball Rabbit. Something like that, but it's an illeg- it's actually an illegal race. Yes, so, no, it is, yeah. Anyway, so I thought this was quite good. Yeah, like you say, you just need to take a little bit of time to familiarise yourself with the controls because it is a little bit different. Once you've got there, you know, it's a, it's a playable, enjoyable enough game. It's speedy, and that's what's the key to these games. You know, make, it's, the graphics are quite nice. Quite, They're not huge, blocky, chunky sprites. They're quite neat sprites. You know, car sprites are good. The road moves at a pace. Backgrounds and things feel that they've got that kind of car movement to them. It's not... Because some of the games of this type that we've played before, the tracks don't so much turn as kind of bend and contort. And it doesn't feel like you're driving on a road. It feels like it's just bending a lot. Whereas this doesn't do that. This has more of the pit stop to approach to the to the sort of feel of the road. It feels a bit more like... And I think that's because the cars, you know, scale-wise, about right. And so it, so it feels like you're in more control of it. The sound effects are a bit annoying, but hey-ho. No, it's a racing game, so... I never played it at the time. I quite enjoyed replaying it at uh, this game. And, it, you know, it is it is what it is. It's a different take of the racing genre. But that's quite quite nice in itself. It, it's What it isn't is just another racing game. So that's quite good. Yeah, it is offering something different. I will say that the uh, yeah. the engine noise is horrible. 
Yeah, so the, I've got the sounds are really annoying. But. <laughs> and that is one thing that does put you off after a while, but especially, you know, when you drive, you know, you're clicking through the gears and stuff. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it, I was pleasantly surprised that this still stood up to some degree. Yeah. And, you know, that, that ability to choose your route, you go where you want, pick a different destination each time, what you thought would be the fastest from route to route, uh, whichever way it went, was, was quite interesting. Yeah, this is all right. And interestingly, it's um, it's probably better than Outrun when that came out in the Commodore 64 later, to be fair, because that was awful. Yeah, I did so. put it has a akin to Outrun sort of a sense, sort of thing, yeah. where you're picking your route. Yeah, it does. You're right, it does. I think, if anything, it lends itself, you know, it's got that Outrun feel and tonality to it, you know, that kind mm. of, you know, driving across the place. And yeah, yeah, like you say, nothing, nothing not to like about it, really, apart from the awful engine noise. Awful engine noise, awful. Yeah, so mm. great, great cross-country road race. <laughs> Catchy title could be short, could be shorter. Cannibal Run was yeah. much 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 catchier. <laughs> Just road race would have been good. Absolutely, yeah. The Great American Road Race. You don't need the cross country part. Not so. really. No. It's a little bit over descriptive. We've gone a bit mad there. You know, it's like saying it's the Great American Cross Country Cross Roads, difficult roads, sometimes bridges. <laughs> That's, you know, traffic could be quite heavy. <laughs> road race. <laughs> Look out for penguins. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So yeah, Great American Cross Country Road Race. Yeah, 77 is that. Pretty much agree with that. I think that's about spot on. 9.99 though, maybe a bit prior. No, it should have been cheaper. There's, there's a lot of game there, I think, though, for the time. Yeah, uh, you're going to be playing this for a while. Yeah, um, you are. Doing all the different routes. All right, so our last game. A bit of a cult classic, I think. Start of a series uh, that would have several games in this. This is the Magic Knight series. Mm. Um, and this is Finders Keepers. A strange, strange game. Strange series of games. I'm going to go out. I'm going to start straight away something and say this sort of thing in that I was never a big fan of them. Again, people may be going, oh, God, what is wrong with you? But I, I never was. I could never really fully engage with these games. There was just something about them that just didn't c- connect with me. Probably more me. I can see that this is actually quite a decent game. There's a lot to this game, to this series of games. And let's not forget, let's state this at the start. This is two quid. For two yeah. quid, this is an absolute steal. You know, there's loads of stuff here sort of thing, but th- th- there was always just something about it. I think they got better as they went on. This is obviously the first one. One of the things that... So, okay, let's re- rewind a bit. But the Magic Knight series of games, are you could call them flick screen collectathons, platformy type stuff. They are that. But, you know, you're, you're told at the very beginning, you're basically sent to um, uncover these, some treasure or something, and you've got to bring it back to the king, king, or alternatively, just get out and go off your own way. So it's kind of a nice bit of open-endedness. I don't know if that's the case. I never finished it. So I don't know if that actually carries through. So the majority of the game is, the, you know, side-on, Manic Miner-style screens where you're jumping up and down as Magic Knight. Fight, there's these little triangular objects that you can pick up and then the dotted about the world there are these traders that you can go and you can trade objects with them you can get you can pick up and all these kind of stuff so there's a bit more depth to this already not only that once you get past a certain point of the, the map sort of thing you leave the sort of 2d platform and then go into this weird sort of angle angled sort of top down not quite top down but from an angle um 3d maze um yeah, type maze thing. Game, yeah so it becomes a maze game so you're wandering around this maze trying to find your way around and and, and progress from there i just never really knew what i was doing and i think that's like i said this is probably just more me i get that this is quite innovative and quite interesting there's a lot of depth here but i think one of the things that really puts me off about this series of games or this one in particular i can't remember if it does the rest the visuals give me a headache which instantly it just starts to put me off playing it every there's there's several parts to the screen and every part of the screen has this border where this sort of the lights going round and round and round and round and round constantly mm-hmm. it's like it's like you know, there's like a white white circle and a slightly white, and it's like a chasing. So it's that kind of chasing the light round effect around every yeah. single screen. And at first you're thinking maybe for the menus, all right, that's fair enough. But when this is, you know, around the play screen, around that, 
And then when you get to the May screen, and the May screen doesn't scroll particularly smoothly, mm. it's a bit juddery. So you've got this juddery maze going up, down, left, and right. You've got these circular lights going around it. It starts to give me a headache. It just yeah. visually starts to become quite noisy and just makes me want to turn the whole thing off and go away and lie, lie yeah. down in a darkened room for five minutes with a damp cloth on my head. That's one of the things that I couldn't, couldn't quite into with this. And I think I think I had that back then. And I had it right now again. So yeah. I'm not knocking the game. I think there's a lot here. And I think if you can get past that visual atrocityness, there's, there's, you know, you'll probably get a lot from this. But it's not for me. I don't know if you, I don't know what your take on it is, but that's mine. Yeah, I agree, actually. So firstly, 199, that is really good value for this game. Number two, graphics are fun. Music's jaunty and lively, but they're very overcolorful and they do burn their way into your retinas after some time. And I agree, there is not headache-inducing after a while. And you're going to be spending a lot of time looking at them. So I think that is a category one cock-up, really, to do mm-hmm. that. First rule of making a game don't blind the people who are trying to play it really or make, <laughs> yeah. give them headaches the puzzles were the usual kind of puzzles for this game picks the up you know and i like the idea that you had to find this present to be welcome to the polygon table wasn't it as opposed to the round yeah, table yeah yeah that's quite funny so 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 you could you know you get the, you had to get a present for his daughter the princess and then you were welcomed it, or yeah. you could or you could just leave <laughs> which yeah. i quite like so you could just find your way out and escape so um you could do either of those things it had a night it does have a nice feel to the game and i think that's because you get you realize that you're getting a lot of game for your money and the are better both graphically and orally so they do get better i'm not a fan of these massive multi-maps collect them ups generally and i'm not and finders keepers and the other three sequels uh, to it never really came across my radar spellbound to some extent did but the others didn't i've never spent a lot of time playing them and i started playing finders keepers when we do the obviously the replays for this podcast and it actually does have quite a nice exploratory feel to it but the trouble is there's so many games like that at this time and i think what i've got is collect up fatigue so when i load them and i see that it's a game where i'm going to have to wander around a series of screens collecting things i'm like it just reminds me of manic minor and jet set willy and all the other ones that we've played of which there are many and so to stand out in those kind of games you know you've got to do something unique or different and this doesn't really do that as in as much as the gameplay is kind of just jump and avoid and there's annoying parts the jumping and this so the jumping's weird mm-hmm. you know and it's got that awful if you touch anything the jump stops in its tracks so you've got some navigating of terrain to do and it, you know and it's a bit unforgiving when you're landing on platforms and if you accidentally double jump you, and just there's just silly stuff like that which I guess over time you'd get better at but there were games that I never got massively into anyway so is it a good game? it's okay but for one ninety nine, it's great um, I think if you'd have put, expected people to pay nine ninety five for this you'd have been, you wouldn't have made any money about it and you'd have been you know this this was their I think their second biggest hit other than Kickstart for, think, my, yeah. for Mastertronic so it was a huge hit for them on, and they had it on across all, all formats and platforms as well so they did quite well with it so you either like these collect em up games or you don't, I think. And, and I've, I've said that before. I do and I don't. If they're good enough for me to enjoy, then I'll, I will persevere and get into it a bit. And this one was probably one that I would have persevered with, I think. It, had I bought it originally for $1.99, I think I'd have stuck it out and tried to make it through and see how far I got. But I also know that I don't have a lot of patience for these things. So if a game starts to throw stupidity at me, like not being able to jump properly or not being able to get to platforms properly because the collision detection so picky, then I can very quickly quickly switch them off and you know load up green beret which is you know just <laughs> stupidly simple but you know that, that's the world of games you're up against you're up against that now these you know as much as there there's some benchmark games out there right under underlying all of that this game was two pounds do you like these could you actually like the kind of collect them up um, games well, like mean, this to be fair sort of thing i mean we've you know we've got, we've got gold, we've played we've loads got, of these right we've got a gold medal collect them up this this issue yes, true you know true. we've got frankie goes to hollywood is essentially like i said it could easily been everyone's a frankie it could easily have yeah. been finders 
as Frankie, Frankie Keepers. Fra you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood is in and of itself that. But the problem with these games sort of thing is this does away with it a little bit by giving you sort of health. Um, yeah. You know, and not instant death. So you're not kind of instantly penalized and stuff. And that's a good, yeah. that's a touch in the right direction. My main issue with this sort of thing is the visual, the visual noise really yeah. puts me off. There was always just something in these games. And I think it was a, a, a relative boredom of, I'm, I'm fed up of Manic Miner style jumping. I'm just really, yeah. I, even, I remember back in 1985, 1986, I was just bored of that. By that point, sort of thing, even though this was two quid, um, and I think I did have it, I think we had this for two quid, it was just something that I think I played through for a chunk, but got put off by the visuals and then didn't want to go back. It's that again, isn't it? It's that jumping, yeah. it's that Manic Miner style game design, which yeah. so many games were just riffing on two, three years later. If you like those sort of things, this is a really good example of them, though. Yeah. There's probably more to this game than we're maybe giving credit to. I don't know. But the Magic Knight games were never for me. And, uh, and maybe, you know, we get to, was it Spellbound? Spellbound's um, the next one, I think. Yeah. And then what was after that? Gosh, now you're asking. I can't remember. I can't remember. But there's a few of these in the sort of thing. And they, they I, I don't know, they probably do get better. I don't know. We'll have a look at them when they turn up something. But uh, for this one. Night Time is the following. Night Time, that's it's, it. Uh, it's Jeep, it's, it's, uh, uh, Jeep. Creepers. It's Finders Keepers, Spellbound, Nighttime, and Stormbringer. Stormbringer, that's the one I was thinking of. This is the one beginning yeah. there. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a look at these sort of things, but I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to be converted to them, and hopefully they are. I know the others are a bit more engaging, better music and stuff like that, but I hate the, I hate, I, I hated the music in this as well, by the way. Yeah, it was jaunty, but it was it was all right. But these, the other three, by the way, are they use like a menu system to, to talk to people and stuff. They're a bit more a bit more adventury in that respect. This one doesn't yeah. do that. It's the only one out of the four games that doesn't do that what yeah. they called wind windymation yeah i think this is a, pr a proof of concept and like we said two quid i'm not going to knock it too hard i can see why zap gave it a sizzler because i think it is trying to do quite a few things different and that value for money proposition is hard to argue against that's our games that's this issue that's our, our 18 games we've looked at it's quite a lot it's quite a few yes so but you know they are what they are, aren't they? It's just games, isn't it? Just they what it are is. what um, they, they are. They are what they are. So where are we with these games? So we've looked at, over these two issues, we've looked at Guy Fawkes, Rupert and the Toymakers Party, Five-A-Side Football, Kennedy Approach, Summer Games 2, Monster Trivia, Miguel Ace, Hyper Sports, Kayak, Ian Botham's Test Cricket, Graham Gucci's Test Cricket, Rescue and Fractalis, Nick Faldo Plays the Open, Frank Goes to Hollywood, Merlin, Out on a Limb, Great America's Cross Country Road Race, and Finders Keepers. As ever, let's do our recommendations. <laughs> we got to pick the obvious. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Summer Games 2. Obviously, it has to be in the list. And Frankie goes to Hollywood. I think, for definite, yes. Definitely. They've certainly stood the test of time and they're certainly still great games to play. What else do you want to put in? I would, as an also-ran, I'd be tempted to put in Hypersports. So would I. Um, and Rescue and Fractalis would be in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, from me... I would put Hypersports. I think over Rescue and Fractalis, I think I would put Kennedy Approach. Okay. I like Rescue and Fractalis. I think this games do it better a bit sooner sort of thing. I think I, I, do, I, I can see why it would go in. I think there's a lot to like in that. I think Kennedy Approach is just an un unusual, you know, example of something something done well. It is. It's just too niche, too niche for me. It's just, yeah. It just has a, such a narrow appeal. But I can see why you'd put it in there. I, I can get that sort of thing, but... I think any of those five games you're gonna have a good time with. Mm -hmm. they, they they will love you long time. Yeah, and confined to the uh, great pit of doom is out on a limb. Yeah, and and the cricket games really can just go in. Well, actually, that's not fair just to the, just Ian Gucci. Both of them's yeah. test match can go in the dustbin for me. Ian, Ian Botham's 
Yeah, that can go in. And um, uh, Mig Ali Ace can be confined to the never make a, a two-player fight simulator like that ever again. Yeah, I think I think um, I'm not going to argue with any of those, and I think there would be the three that I would put in. Yeah, I mean, I would be tempted to drop in Merlin as well, but yeah, 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 stick it in there. <laughs> so uh, they'll go in the. the I mean, that pot in uh, that. Cauldron and Merlin has enough space for all of them. It does. Um, because it, it, it was massive. And then um, fire it out into space. <laughs> Indeed. So there we go. That's our recommendations and our God sake never play them. Games of the uh, games of the issue. So let's finish off with a last look at our final loads of crap birds. Um, I don't particularly I don't particularly like this advert. Nodes of Yesod. I don't know. There's there's something about this that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know what it is. It's the <laughs> It's just, I think it's trying desperately to be like obtuse and a bit weird and stuff like that. And, and two thousand and one, yeah. There's just something about it, sort of thing. And, and I don't like, the, I don't like the uh, the crater mark on the planet. It just looks a bit like an anus to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about this advert which I just don't like. I think I don't like, um, you know, the, the that prototypical. I know that's the main character from the game, sort of thing. But there's just something about it. I don't like the sort of gradient uh, on the on the mountains in this foreground. I can't tell what's going on, sort of thing, because there's mountains here, but then there's a planet in the background, and it's all too close. Mm. And it, and and it just I don't know. And I don't know what this plinth is. It, it it's arty arty crap. <laughs> is it's what, is what the I'm problem. What you've got here is a someone who cannot typeset to save their lives. So that nodes of yes or a, it's the awful typeface choice. Why stick the copyright logo on it anyway? And then why have it so close to the edge of that mountain range shadow thing, which is, by the way, awful because it is just a gradient on a badly cut out mountainy thing with a weird planet with what looks like a giant cum stain on it. <laughs> And, and you then you've got at my what anus. looks like a, <laughs> <laughs> which you have done um, many a not, times, not for the first time, not for, for now, for now. Um, and it looks like the astronaut there is going to be hit on the bottom by a giant wooden panel paddle. Yeah. So I'm guessing getting, getting your bottom paddled is a theme in this game. So it doesn't shout that game literally, uh, other than the fact that it has a spaceman in it. That doesn't really tell you much about it, does it? And I guess that's the mystery of Note of Yesod. Yeah. But you know what? You need a bit. I think you need. It's still falling into that trap of you know we don't need to explain what this game's about. We just have to give it an air of you know sci-fi mystery, and it's like you don't, you really do need to make it because no one's going to buy that based on that rubbish. So <laughs> I don't like you know, it. I don't like it. I can't see what is what is reflected in his visor, but it's meant to be a, a reflection of a moon. It's just it's all kinds of wrong. That it's all yeah. kinds of wrong. I don't like Odin's um, the typeface of their logo either. Oh, the, the Odin Computer Graphics Limited logo is hilarious. It's just someone got hold of too many Photoshop plugins and tripped. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's just all kinds of wrong. And they've underlined their own name, which is... Uh, it's, there's many crimes in this world, but overuse, using an underline on anything is... It's, yeah. it's not good practice, that. It's a bit like putting a bevel on an edge. It's just, it's just you know, that is a literal Photoshop crime. A bevel on an and, edge. Uh, punishable by uh, torturous death. Second only to putting a pillow emboss on anything ever. Um, and if you ever find yourself drifting towards the effects and the pillow emboss on Photoshop, you move your hands with, with swords. So, just going to say. There you go. Okay. We don't like that. I don't like it anyway, no. I'm glad there's uh, something about it just annoys the crap out of me. Anyway, wizardry is our next one. Again, this you know it's not terrible, but that wizard, that wizard, this doesn't sell anything to me. <laughs> no, it it's, it's no. the most boring wizard simulator ever. Yeah, and it's also it's not selling it me that it's by the author of Quo Vadis. I'm like, all right, sounds sounds mega serious. For those in search, and, of and the that next... game is nothing like that. I no. don't know. For those in search of the next step in 3D graphic adventures, yeah. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. It is good. Graphically, Wizardry is quite nice, but it has, does have that awful scrolling issue. Mm-hmm. But it is nice. But it's it, what I always like. I mean, irrespective of what crazy... For some reason, why not just make the picture of the wizard bigger anyway? Why that little... That's what I mean. Anyway, I don't get it. They seem to do that a lot with these. They seem to shrink images down. But I still like the Edge logo to this day. Yeah. That's quite a nice logo. It, but it does feature beveled a beveled uh, stroke on there with a gradient in it. And it is making me starting to twitch a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I'll let them go because the way that they've formulated formulated the edge word with the way that the D rolls into the G is really lovely. I love that. So. It is It is very nice. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted to sort of talk about this picture of the wizard sort of thing because we've mentioned this. It's a, it looks like the most, you know, it's the jolliest, simplest wizard. He's got a book open and a potion in his hand. There's a loaf of bread on his table in front of him. There's some curtains. Is, loaf, is, that, is that a loaf of bread? I think it's, it looks like <laughs> a loaf of bread to me. Um, <laughs> there's a book and some pots and, you know, some more potion vial type things. You know, this is, what, what kind of game is this? What is this? I don't know. And who's Stephen Chapman and what does it got to do with Quo Vardis? You know, he looks happy, that wizard, though, doesn't he? He, does. he looks like a traditional wizard. He's got a pointy hat and a stars on it. You also, know, as well, says wizard. he's got an electric light. There is a bulb, though, isn't there? There's a bulb. What's going on? There is a light bulb. Maybe he's just had a really bright idea. Maybe that's the wizardry. He's made electricity. He has. and um, In fact, he's, he's got two bulbs. There's one in the, just above his head and one to the top right as well. Is he drinking from that thing in his hand, do you think? So he's actually, is that a drink he's having or is he... Because is he meant to be concocting <laughs> a potion? I'm casting a spell. What's maybe, he doing? Maybe he's all this kinds is just of... somebody who thinks they're a wizard who's had a bit of a drink. And I, and, I, and I don't mean to call the health and safety police, but sleeves that long. If you're <laughs> using dangerous chemicals, you're heading for a serious chemical burn or an injury. Just either took those sleeves in with some clips or... Or, you know, to wear the proper outfits for scientific experimentation. Don't be wielding books and and vials of, of liquid. You know, <laughs> if, also, you're not, if you're not seeing bre- you're not seeing Breaking Bad, this can end badly for you. And also, what's he seen that's giving him that expression? I think it's more likely something under that table. So uh... <laughs> someone's got someone's got all of his wizard staff. <laughs> well, there's a reason all the objects are going towards the back of the table. There's something under there, b- bumping, bumping around in there. And his bed's really tiny. Or he's looking his at bed is it, a, his bed is as thin as wide as a shelf. Or he's which looking, means he must sleep, sleep on his side. Or he's looking at ye oldy penthouse. <laughs> yes, it's true. That's the magazine he's looking at. He's slipped, there, and, slipped he's, there. and he's not doing so well as he for a wizard. He's in a wad bedroom, tiny one bedroom, little flat there with a. <laughs> he's got electric yeah, so, lights. So, well, he's got electric lights, but he's got a. Uh, <laughs> that's got to be a sofa bed. Essentially, that is a what do you call it? A, Studio uh, flat. <laughs> yeah, it's not even that. It's even smaller than that, and it's it's one of those. Um, it's, his lounges, his kitchen, is his bedroom, is his everything. You know, to quote the eighties, so, is compact and bijou. Compact and bijou, yeah, and yeah, and he's got a giant pot to piss in, so he's. Oh, there you go. You know, that's good. That'd that's be, good. But his, his his main central flask is is got horribly bent and misshapen so <laughs> and he's got a loaf of bread it is that and is a loaf of bread book, and you think that book in his hand compared to the book on the desk that book is massive it is massive that book is as big as a desk so you know it, but you know he, he, so he's clearly easy to retype with no big words for that wizard <laughs> Anyway, let's look at the wizard next takedown. One. So from Strange Wizard. Oh my wizards, god. <laughs> uh, so this game is I've never heard of this game. It's a Spectrum game, so I do apologize for this, but I had to include this. This is uh I do say coming soon Transfer and CBM sixty four versions. Really badly just overlaid across this. So this is meta meta metabolis, metabolis. 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 So yeah. This looks like this is a really, really shocked birdman. Um, flying over some kind of sort of fantasy land with some bats in the background, or maybe because they're not not versions of him because they ain't got legs. So this is a man. This is a man with a bird's head and wings. Um, 
flying <laughs> the over description, it. The description purple. underneath it all is brilliant. Stretch your wings. It's just brilliant. Steal your nerves, dot, dot. You're the last hope for mankind. <laughs> but you're a bit a, underneath. But you're a bird man. <laughs> a bit underneath. Before your eyes, your friends, your family are rendered helpless, transformed to lesser beings, birds and mice, by the invading Kremins. Kremins? <laughs> but by a cruel twist of fate, the transformation leaves you the body of a bird, but the brain of a human. <laughs> but he's got the body of a human in that picture and a head of a bird. <laughs> <laughs> you are the last chance the human race has left. Has left. Why? Why would? It's not a cruel twist of fate. It's bad enough that your friends and family have been transformed into birds and mice. Let alone, let alone you've been transformed. The only thing left that's part of human is is the brain. So why has he got the body of a human and only the head of a bird? He's got man legs with with seagull feet. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's my... That, now, that is a superhero waiting to... What's his name, though? <laughs> and what's Metabolist yeah. got to do with anything? And why the Kremins? The Kremins, the Kremins. Kremins, Kremins. Oh, I love that. I love the idea that it's a, it just it's the, put down to a cruel twist of fate. Never mind that everyone's been transformed into less... And that, they're just lesser beings, but birds and mice. By a cruel twist of fate, he's still got the brain of a human, but he hasn't. It's more than that. He's got, he's got a mancock. <laughs> He's wearing underpants. Yeah, Birds got, don't wear underpants. He's got a wicked belt. <laughs> yes. He's got he's got a belt and pants on. So when he was transformed, that man was wearing that outfit. <laughs> and they just put bird wings and a head, bird head and a tail and feet on him. So he was, for reasons that aren't explained in that advert, he was dressed like that. He was. So that was, maybe that's the way that they dress on that crazy planet of whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, so, and see, is that a giant boomerang? Uh, what is that? Is that what he fires? Oh, the, the Does he white, throw boomerangs or something? I can't, I can't tell whether that's something oh, coming oh, off the... his TV antenna for his... Because uh, <laughs> he don't get very good Channel 5 reception on that, that castle he's in. So I don't he's know. I don't know if it's something coming off the castle or something. It's, maybe it's the... Uh, it's the force of his like car. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's cacaw is emits a shriek. <laughs> or he just can't, he just can't get very good freeview reception in his castle tower, and that's because oh, he's got you know bat. He's chased by bats, but bats with elongated extra bat bits of wings, so they're not quite bats. And just just think, right as well. I mean, if you were going to place the text coming soon, the Amstrad and CBM sixty four version, why would you put it like that? There, really hard to read. Yes. You know, again, yeah, and, and the 64 right over his bulge. It's right over his bulge. <laughs> You're drawing attention to that bulge immediately, aren't you? And it's unpleasant, really. Bird um, bulge. <laughs> yeah, and um, why metabolis as well? I don't know. I'm guessing he's metabolized into some. Is this kind of a manimal thing? Is there a there is there's, there's a hint of manimal about it because he transferred into a bird, did he? In manimal. <sighs> Do we um, have to talk about manimal? Well, I'm just thinking they must, you know, they got the idea from somewhere for this crazy nonsense. Oh god! Um, and it's not, a, it's not just any old bird. That's a seagull, <laughs> no, the, the scavenger of all birds. He's not going to help them out. He's just going to go around nicking chips off people at the seaside, <laughs> and just being generally annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine those sort of things? Like if seagulls look like that, I'd be genuinely terrified. It, we all, I tell you what, though, that would make a great game if it was that. But it was just, you know, steal the chips. So it was Whit- Whitby, you know, Whitby Terror. That was the name of the game, and it featured the same character in the sequel. He just, you know, he's decided once and for all, he's not going to bother with the people who have already been turned into birds <laughs> and lesser beings. He's just going to steal chips off people at the seaside. The, the bastard. Other, the other thing as well is that obviously he's got no hands, but he's still got pants on. That's maybe why he looks quite so shocked. He needs the loo. Well, he's going to have trouble getting... He needs to uh, go to the toilet. Well, by rights, he must still have an anus then, which it's not <laughs> the back tail of his. It's going to get horribly messy. And 
<laughs> no, them feathers are gonna, it might be soft for a while, but after a while, that's going to get crud, and you're not going to get that off. No, that beautiful blue plumage is going to end up all brown and matted. <laughs> Oh, you know when you know when somebody commissioned this, they went, "Look, the game's about like this guy's got the brain of a bird, brain of a human, and the body of a bird, and he's like the last thing he's been transformed." The guys, all they've heard is like human bird. They've got they've gone off, they've gone off, and they've drawn this and they brought it back, and they're like, "What's this? What is this?" And it's like you said, human bird. Well, he's no. gone the other way around, hasn't he? Because he's actually drawn a... It's not a body of a human and a... It's the body of a human and a brain of a bird, yeah. not the brain of a That's human what and a body he's, of a he's bird. He's heard human bird. That's all he's heard. Yeah. So in this like in in mind, this meeting, that's what a human bird is. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a bit like you know, some you could you, your classic drawing of a merman is the guy at the top and a fishtail, isn't it? Yeah. But that could be the way around. It could just be a fish-headed guy with like cock and balls and legs. <laughs> God, row. <laughs> and that'd be that'd be horrific. So it's all down to interpretation. But those freaks must exist, you know. And somewhere there is the opposite of him, which is a man's head on a bird's body with a. It's just it doesn't bear thinking about. No, it doesn't. Anyway, and, not, and he would be practically useless as well. He would have he wouldn't be able to fly, would he? Just about man arms. It's gab. It's just I know. I hope actually that hits us up because I want to see what the hell this game is. Um, I think you should get that made into a giant poster and put on your wall for all to see. <laughs> Let me just ch- move my camera around. <laughs> there you go. Wow, you've got one. Wow. <laughs> no, I've, re- I've got a real man bird. <laughs> He's over there. I've, ma- I've, I've made one. <laughs> oh, my God, you have. Oh, dear. We didn't um, think it was possible. Stretch your wings, steal your nerves. Yeah, and they prepare yourself for the attack f- of the seagull man. They couldn't even fit the proper extra dot in. They've done two dots. No, no one does two dots. It's two, one or Nobody three. Nobody does two. And it's is that Steven Seagal in that? A... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> let's move on to our, our charts. Um, thank God. Yeah, thank God. Uh, so our top 10, I'll, uh, Commodore, uh, sorry, Computer Video Games Magazine, uh, September uh, 85, had these in the, the, these are the top 10 games. And I think there's much change from last last week, actually. Uh, we've got Impossible Mission in at number 10. Number 11 is Graham Gooch Test Cricket. Well, um, that's the bestest cricket game out of the shit ones. It is, true. But number, thir- number 12 is View to a Kill. That's that's a, that's above Shadowfire. There's something very wrong in the world. I know. Uh, number 9, Kickstar. Number 8, Action Biker. Clumsy Collins, Action Crikey. Biker. Action Biker starring Clumsy Collin. Who knows? Dan Busters at number seven. International Basketball at number six. International Tennis at number five. Pit Stop 2 at four. Soft Aid uh, still there at number three. Elite at number two. Uh, oh, God. Elite ever leave the chart? Get out. Never. But at number one, and deservedly so, and should have been a gold medal, Way <laughs> of the Exploding Fist. Um, yes. Any other notable games in this top 20? Oh, my God. Uh, Fibers Keepers is in there at number 14. Ian Botham is just... Test cricket is 23. Sheesh, that shouldn't be in there at all. Talladega is 28. Yeah. Christ on a bike. How is Rocky Horror Show higher than Drop Zone? We may never know. No. We may never know. And there's a few notable exceptions that will probably be in there next month, won't they? Hypersports will be in there. and Summer Games 2. Summer Games 2, I would have thought, will be in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be coming soon. I hope so, because at the moment, sports representation in that top 20 is... Shocking and not nice. Uh, so, international tennis and basketball in there. Yeah, no, no, say most of it's. You've got the um, Daily Thompsons just lying around in there. Yeah. World Series baseball still st- stinking around, stinking <laughs> up the place. <laughs> hey, Great Gucci's cricket's all get right. Get out of here with your stink. 
<laughs> and why is Dan Buster still there? Get out. British. English, isn't it? <laughs> Make you know? way for Skyfox. Get Skyfox in there. Get that out. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right, so there we go. That's September 1985. There was Those were the games. There was some excellent stuff in there and obviously a couple of real bad crap. What we got next issue, we've got... Strange enough, there's, doesn't look like there's any gold medals for next issue, so there's no out-and-out outright sort of stunner by the looks of it. We've got Baron McGuigan's World Championship Boxing, which I remember being mm, quite good. I remember enjoying that. Uh, it reviewed Beachhead for some reason, but I don't think we'll have a look at that. We've, we've done that. Monty on the Run, we've gone okay. from, you know, Thing on a Spring, we've gone through Hypersports, and now we've got Monty on the Run. The Sid Chip is stretching itself. The yep. awful advert, notes of Yes Odds in there. We've got a couple of construction mm-hmm. set, pinball and racing okay. construction set. Finally, what else we've got to look forward to? Uh, Spy vs. Spy 2. It was the island was that? and Speed Kings in there. That's the Mastertronic motorbike racing game. I must have spent quite a lot of my life on that. <laughs> and also a game called Shoot 'em Up, which probably doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. <laughs> I bet it isn't a shoot 'em up. I bet the irony is they're trying to play the irony card and Vortron. Probably sounds that sounds awful already. Uh, we will be looking at it though. I'm going to make sure we are because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> I just like I just like making you. I just like making you play bad games. <laughs> Is there uh, no gold medals in that list? No, That's there's interesting. A, there's okay. also a conversion there, Mr. Do as well. There's also something called Mad Doctor. Ah, okay. oh, Mad Doctor. I remember Mad Doctor. That was bad. Well, um, we're going to discover these wonders. Uh, Mr. Do's a great arcade, so also, also I'd be very interested to see what that's like. And following up from Graham's Gooch, we've got Dickie's Diamonds. <laughs> Oh, God. I hope that's, that might be Dickie Davis's game. Oh, it might be. We have to sell used cars for some reason. <laughs> can but hope. Um, on that <laughs> note, thinking about Dickie's Diamonds, we will end it there. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, we have been Zap to the Past. I've been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. Uh, and we'll be back uh, in a week or so's time with, what is it? What follows September? October. <laughs> oh, usually October. <laughs> October 1985. Uh, we'll see you then. Good night and goodbye. Ta-ta. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love the Zap 64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.